Welcome back, everyone, to another Meet Kevin show. Today, we're bringing back Ross Gerber. I think Ross is now officially the most popular, most requested, and most visited guest on the show. So we can welcome back Ross Gerber. Thank you so much for being here. And of course, check out the link in the description down below. We've got a link to uh, Ross Gerber's website, gerberkawasaki.com, and you can learn more about the funds and products they offer. Up front, this video is not sponsored. All right, Ross, welcome aboard. Hey, how's it going, Kevin and <laughs> Kevin fans? You know, I have to say you're the first person I want to be on with when these things happen because so many of your fans, a lot of them are now our clients too, but like so many of them engage in such a positive manner with, with me. You know, I really appreciate it. You know, it's, it, it, I want to reach as many people as possible and the right people. And, you know, the people on your channel are just wonderful people. So, you know, I get like a million calls from networks when this all goes down, you know, and, and it's like the first thing I want to do is get on with you and, and, and your viewers. So thanks for having me on again. And, and, you know, these times are hard. So, you know, that's why people like me have jobs or for these yeah. times actually, which was my speech this morning to the team. Um, and <laughs> you know, this is when we make our money, you know? So I wanted to get on and give you guys the same advice our clients who pay us a lot of money get in these hard times. And so, you know, let's get into your questions and, and what we did today and how we handle these situations. Absolutely. I love it. So let's get right into it then. Uh, first question, and I think it's the big elephant in the room, is mm -hmm. what happens if we get bad news out of J-POW tomorrow? Uh, we know that that we've talked about this many times on the channel, that at some point, this inflation fear is going to go away. But how much more tantrum and kicking and screaming are we going to get out of the stock market because of Jerome Powell? Well, first of all, Jerome Powell is doing his job. You know, his job is really a hard one because how we can predict the future of the economy is incredibly difficult and things are constantly changing. So the data points that they were using in December that so many people are reacting to still from a, yes. a Fed note from December actually has no relevance anymore to today in the economy we see today because so many things have changed with Omicron in the last month. And I think you've mentioned that in a few tweets where we have seen a slowdown in the economy in January from the pace that we had in the last quarter because of Omicron, which is now starting to come back as Omicron's fading. But there are many businesses that have been affected again, especially things like entertainment, uh, restaurants, the same people who get hurt every time Omicron comes back. And it hurts employment too. And so we see that the economy has already slowed and now with the markets coming down and speculation coming out of the market, this is exactly what the Fed wanted. Now, if you expect the unexpected from the Fed, I think that's a mistake because the Fed has clearly been transparent of what their plans are for the year. And whether they raise rates three times or four times isn't relevant. It doesn't matter because we're talking about a very, very low interest rate. So we're starting at zero and we're talking about going to one. OK, mm -hmm. and this should scare nobody. It should scare nobody. This is the best of all scenarios. Okay. Why? Because where were we two years ago today? Okay. We were about to embark on one of the worst things that's ever happened in American business and one of the worst experiences in, in our lives for many of us. Um, you know, I've lived through 9 11 and some other tough times. So I didn't actually think the pandemic was as hard um, for me as like the financial crisis, which directly hit me you know, like 
hard, like sort of like being like a cruise line operator today. Right. Um, so this wasn't as hard as, as let's say the financial crisis for me, but it was certainly as hard or harder for many. Um, but we were, but Jerome Powell took steps in 2020 that created tremendous wealth for this country by printing oh, yeah. trillions of dollars, by lowering rates to zero, by buying every bond and supporting everything. And what he did was he created in some ways a moral hazard, as we call, which is that the Fed will always back, no matter when things get bad, the Fed will always back the economy. That's great news because that was never really a given like it was in 2020, it became. So so that makes stocks in a way more valuable if you know that the Fed's willing to buy any asset to protect the economy. Right. Second, or print unlimited amount of money. Now it all worked. We had two years of 40% gains, you know, 2020. Amazing amounts of money have been created, and people started spending it like the minute they were let out of lockdown. Yes, and the spending behavior became very unnormal, abnormal, including my own. And when I go out now, I spend twice as much money because I go out half as many times, you know. And it's like I'm ready to go, right? You're drinking tequila, and you know, and so. So we get all this unnatural behavior happening, some lockdowns to then everybody out to then semi everybody back. And it's created supply chain and labor issues and inflation. But none of this is long term. It's all this short term stuff that we're dealing with. So now the Fed's got to get back to a real interest rate, which is between one and two percent on the Fed funds rate and between two to three percent on the 10 year rate. So we still got more pain to go, by the way. So if you think the rate thing is over, you're wrong. We're just getting started. But what happens is the, the is pain in the market or potentially the volatility. The market's okay. going to from here. If you're starting investing today, you're going to make money in the market this year. OK, so we look at things like based off like valuations. So that's why we have confidence in what we buy on days like today. It's because we know what we think things are worth. And when they become cheaper than that, we become aggressive buyers. So, um, for example, I just spent the weekend in Vegas doing research on MGM. We bought MGM today. Okay. <laughs> yes. Tell me more about your research, Ross. Oh, dude. I've been scared to go to Vegas for a long time. And most people told me I'm a fucking idiot. So I'm, I took a risk for the team. That's why I'm quarantined here in my house now for three days. My wife won't talk to me. Um, she thinks I – I mean, if I don't get corona – you know, it's a yeah. miracle at this point after my weekend. And I, and, and I was trying to be safe. I'm trying to be safe, but I can't, I can't tell you what's happening in Vegas right now is insane. No. It's insanely fun. Yeah. It is insanely fun. I mean, $50 is now the minimum on every table betting. We couldn't find a $25 table anywhere. Everything's packed. People are out. People don't give a crap. You know, the clubs These are, uh, are masks full. in Vegas, man, right here. Yeah, or not at all. I mean, so they convinced me they convinced me to go to this club because, you know, I'm too old to do this anymore. I don't even like it anymore. But a lot of guys I'm with are young and, you know, so I go and I'm wearing my mask and this girl in the elevator looks at me and she's like, there's no reason for you to have that on anymore. Nobody – Nobody does in here. So if you're coming in here, you're wasting your time with that mask, you know? And so I just like took it off and, and you walk in and there's 500 kids going off, no mask, oh, yeah. nothing's changed. So Vegas no. is back. 
people are back. America's back. This is great news. It's super yeah. bullish. Rates go up because the economy is great. Um, people have money. People have jobs. You want a job? Stop complaining. There's tons of jobs. You don't make enough money? Go get another job. There's tons of jobs. You ask for a raise. You'll get a raise. People have money. <laughs> so we haven't had this in this country in a long time. In a long time. Even under Obama, when we recovered, we never really got the spending going. You know, it was like mm. the financial crisis kind of had this overhang of spending that lasted forever until Trump. Trump was really the first president who was like, go spend your money. I'm cutting taxes. It's yeah. all about, you know, business and money. And people started spending money. And then we locked him down. And then you and you love Trump. No, I hate him. With, I hate him. He's worse than the devil. But my this show isn't about politics. This show no. is about making money. So Trump is good for making money. And that that's what he's good for. But making money at the expense of society and what's right isn't my goal in life. But if you're talking about making money, when the Republicans win the House and the Senate back in six months, you don't think that's super bullish for the stock market? Because they're yeah. getting everything back. Yeah, huge. Okay. So taxes aren't going to go up. That's hugely good news. Okay. Yeah. Hugely good news for the economy that's trying to recover. You don't raise taxes. I don't care if you raise on the rich or the poor. It's, that's Econ 101. Taxes aren't going up. That's great news. I'm trying to find where the bad news is right now, other than a bunch of speculators, a bunch of kids buying Dogecoin and AMC and shit, all of a sudden got their asses kicked in the stock market. Like, welcome to the fucking world, my man. It's not free money. So well, you let better me, take let me advantage you of these moments, you know? What What do you, like, so... You brought up well. First of all, I when last time I went to Vegas, freaking loved it. It was October, and you're right. Nobody cares in Vegas. I had green hair, and I'll tell you, there is nothing like having green hair in a nightclub because you glow. So if you would have seen me in there with red hair, you would have walked out of the elevator and seen 500 people and be like, "Who's that guy with green hair?" <laughs> I should have done that. I should have done that. It is more like, popular it, than the one old guy in a mask. If you want attention in a nightclub, dye your hair neon. <laughs> yeah, see, I don't need attention. I'm past that stage of my life. I try to get but, less attention, you know? <laughs> so uh, putting that aside, I've got a, a very messy set of, of, of notes here from the Fed. And right. it, it, what I want to ask you about are a couple specific things. Uh, I'm not going to like bore you by reading this to you, but uh, bottom Please. line is at the bottom corner over here, they talk about how uh, they have so much more, uh, so many more bonds than they've ever had before and right. so many more shorter duration bonds than they've ever had before. And so really they're judging that they need a significant amount of balance sheet shrinkage like right faster than even expected and That's i think great. it almost goes beyond potentially and i want to ask you about this goes beyond potentially rates because you've got them saying look We've got financial stability risks because we've got inflation that's elevated. We still have these supply chain constraints uh, that are potentially now getting worse because of Omicron. Yeah, people are maybe right. are spending. Short but term, we've got, short term, yeah. Right, right. Short term supply chain issues uh, that are still bad. And uh, we've got these, we, we've got so much money we've got to offload. To me, this, this was one of the most bearish sets of minutes here. And I'm not sure if those conditions are any different or are going to be any different at the, the Fed meeting tomorrow. Well, no, the, the conditions haven't changed at all. But why is it bad that the Fed is being able to sell off their balance sheet like they need to do this? Like, see, I think 
there's this like opinion that the Fed needs to be involved for the market to go up. Right. Okay? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay. That's not actually how it works. The fact that the Fed is involved with making the market go up is the problem. Okay. Mm. So why do we have inflation? Well, because the Fed's been buying these fucking bonds. Like, I don't need the Fed to buy bonds. You think there's any lack of demand for bonds, right? There's plenty of demand for bonds. They bought bonds today. People bought bonds on Friday when the market was crashing. It was actually the first time that we've seen the bond market rally when stocks went down. Because what was (laughs) happening was yields were going up and stocks were going down. And that's the pattern. Okay, So P.E. compression as yields go up. That's what happens. That's normal, kids. That's normal. That's what's supposed to happen. Okay, so as the cost of money goes up, the the valuations of of speculation goes down, whether it be Bitcoin or whether it be Tesla. Okay, and so P.E. ratios just compress. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with Tesla or Bitcoin. You see what I'm saying? Okay, so when bonds rally, when markets go down, that's when people are scared and they're rebalancing. And that's what we had Friday. That was sort of a hint of capitulation because you saw stocks get murdered and bonds rally. So that that kind of made me think, Okay, now they're buying bonds because they're scared because 1.8, I think it's going to 2.5. I don't know why you buy a 1.8 bond. So the biggest risk you have right now is not stocks. It's bonds because bonds, you're going to have the Fed selling and you have rates going to two and a half. We know rates are going to two and a half. Okay, so it's just history. And so, like, if rates are going to two and a half and I'm holding a bunch of government securities, I'm going to lose way more money on that than I will Mm -hmm. on the stock market. Because for rates to go two and a half, the economy has to be doing three percent or more. Inflation should be running at three percent or more. Okay, and that's real good for earnings. That's real good for earnings. Okay, What do you think about, uh, uh, you know, today we had a bond auction and we had a lot more foreign buying in bonds than usual. Yeah. Uh, so what, what's are, are people just afraid of of China and emerging markets and the whole yeah. Russia stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So so we're the only game in town. So uh, so this was my speech this morning to our team. And part of my speech was that fact that China has made enormous errors with their strategy yeah. with coronavirus. And the isolationist strategy for coronavirus in the end will be a huge mistake for China. Only 10% of the flights that used to come into China from foreigners are coming in today. So 90% of foreign travel to China has been cut. China is an isolated country now that is working very, very hard to have no cases of Omicron. Now, what I've learned from Omicron is there's no way to stop it. There's no fucking way to stop this thing. It's the most efficient flu i have ever seen okay in our lives everybody got it like right away you know like december january like i was in vegas and most of the people were like we already have that actually gave me some confidence at the club because we were like probably all these people already had it you know and the people (laughs) i was with who had just gotten omicron and got better were partying twice as hard because they're like i can't even get it yeah i swear to god I said, yeah. this isn't made up. And I'm like, no. shit, I wish I had Omicron. I'd be t- partying twice, twice as hard. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, and not to make joke of it, because I do have a very good friend in the hospital right now. And, wow. and I'm, I know. And, and Andy, I hope you get well. And hopefully you're out of the hospital. You really shouldn't be in the hospital because, you know, unfortunately, this just treats things differently to people. So I don't want to minimize mm-hmm. the disease. But, 
you know, 99% of the people I've talked to with this thing, it was like very little sickness. So, mm -hmm. Some 1% have been very sick. Some people I've talked to have been sick, but most it's been nothing. And, and they're relieved. They're like, oh, I'm yeah. better. I'm going to go out and party. So the Fed getting rid of its balance sheet is what needs to be done. Like, why are they buying? It's such a bad idea to print money and then buy your own bonds with it that ultimately you have to sell anyways to somebody. <laughs> so if, yeah. if rates are 175 right now and the Fed can slowly pay down this balance sheet, that is exactly what they should be doing and it's what's responsible. Okay, it's what's responsible. So a couple trillion dollars more of bonds will have to be absorbed. Who's going to absorb them? It's going to be people who want to invest in China and Europe who don't trust China and Europe, and they need something safe. And we know America is the safest government in the world now. So China is not investable today. If you're buying Baba and Tencent, all these stocks, they're, it's not investable. They don't what, care. Because Charlie, Charlie Munger, you know, Warren Buffett's right-hand person, he's, he's, he doubled his bet. On, on yeah, Alibaba. he's a scumbag, by the way. Charlie Munger's a scumbag. Write it down. You're a total scumbag, Munger. Why don't you get out from your little high tower and come out and like deal with the real world instead of insulting people all day long? Because if you met Charlie, you'd realize he's actually an asshole. And I know that for a fact because my parents know him and, and have gone to dinner with him. And I can tell you exactly the truth is he's an asshole. So I don't give a shit about Charlie Munger or Warren Buffett because all they want to do is destroy the earth for profit. So let's be real. Let's be real. OK, so so Charlie Munger is perfectly fine supporting the Communist Party, perfectly fine with genocide, probably because he's buying stock in the companies that are supporting it. I thought so, that was just Chamath. Oh, Chamath doesn't care about genocide at all unless it's his sorry. people. No, <laughs> no, no, that's, that's I shouldn't no, say that. It's mean. I, he's no, come no, on to apologize for it. I don't it, care you know. if he apologized. <laughs> I watched it. I watched what he said. And I personally have said a few things about this that weren't harsh enough. And I got criticized as well. But to treat any genocide in a way that is somehow not important, I think, is huge. Is a huge moral, how would I say, deletion on his yeah. part. Well, so, no, but you're, look, talking you you and, and just, you're talking about the guy who invented Facebook here. So he has yeah. no morals. What, what, well, we really, what we're really saying is, Supporting Chinese companies right now is supporting the Chinese government directly. And if you invest in Baba and these companies, you are supporting oppression one way or another. Do you think that uh, Chamath, you know, playing devil's advocate, meant the, you know, oh, the Uyghur situation when he said doesn't matter so much or, or whatever to that effect? Do you think that meant didn't matter so much to the stock market or just he or both or, or no I, I thought what he meant is that we all deal with a series of problems that are all important whether it be the abuse of african americans in the united states for example or it could be lockdowns in europe or whatever the things that we care about or racism in our country and anti-semitism um that is a nasty disease in this country so many of us care about the things that affect us directly much mm -hmm. more than we care about these existential issues like the war in Syria and the genocide that's still going on in Syria or our Kurdish allies today who are fighting today for American values and have very little support from our country or our Ukrainian allies who are about to get invaded by Putin. And I've got little Biden with his little half measures and what he <laughs> needs to really go out. Because hey. let me tell you how the Russians work. The Russians only understand strength. They don't care about fucking negotiations. What Biden needs to do is put the fucking 
you know, CIA in there and put the, the Palantir people in and start fucking whacking them. Because okay, Russia, we, got, we, we got a few things to unwind here. So, so, well, first so, of all, it's, so it's, these it's, geopolitical it's, issues, the Uyghurs are a major issue that needs to be dealt with. China's abuse, not only of this group of people, but every religion, to be honest, they do the same thing to the Christians. You know, not a lot of Chinese Jews. They don't believe in religion. I don't know if people understand this. There's no religion in China. There's no religion. It's communism. So the oppression of the Uyghurs are because they're Muslims and because they oppress religion itself. Mm. And that's why the issue is bigger than the Uyghurs and why we should care. It's because right, right. it's just flat out fucking oppression. And then they're willing to implement it in a genocidal manner. I don't know if they're killing all these people. I don't really know what's happening, but I know it's wrong. So you mentioned Biden and his half measures. Last right. week, Biden somewhat suggested that even if Biden or if, if Putin had a a small-scale incursion, Biden wouldn't do anything. It was almost like this big signal to Russia, like, just go step on me, will They're, they're going to do it. Yeah. And, and now Biden is considering deploying maybe 5,000 troops. Meanwhile, Russia has 100,000 troops or more on the border of Ukraine. What What is going to happen when we see a 48-hour blitzkrieg uh, you know, tr basically the entire uh, government of happen. Ukraine get replaced. Okay. So, yeah, Russia is much better off having a coup in Ukraine. The government in, in Ukraine is very weak and they don't have a ton of support. And if you know the history of the government in Ukraine, there was this uh, face-off many years ago between the Russian-backed government of Ukraine and the sort of freedom-backed government of Ukraine. It was like Yanovich versus Yanukovych. You know, they were like two leaders one was the Western-backed one, and one was the Russian-backed one. And the sure. Russian-backed one was the one who got thrown out of town in the overthrow. And they went into his house, and it was like all golden shoes and the whole bit. Um, and so when the Russians lost their influence over Ukraine, um, it was a real sort of black eye for them. And, and they are much more interested in the influence than getting involved with the military conflict. So it certainly makes... A lot more sense for them to try to overthrow the government. I believe that's probably what they're trying to do now, um, similar to the Trump people. S secondly, um, Russia doesn't have the ability to do a blitzkrieg in the middle of winter. OK, if you've ever operated a Russian tank in the snow, you would learn that they don't work very well. So Russian equipment is very, very poorly maintained and their military has mostly relied on wars of attrition for victory. They're not known for their strategic prowess. They're known mm. for losing lots of people to win. Okay. Wow. So this conflict, if they get involved with it, could be very detrimental to Russia because the Ukrainians know how to fight. These are not non-fighters. My relatives left Ukraine over a hundred years ago because these people are mean. Okay. So the Eastern Ukrainians are not nice people and they're tough as hell. So this fight is not a fight that is easy. And they're entrenched and they've been doing it for a long time. So what we're doing is what needs to be done is we just sent tons of weapons. We send the Stinger missiles in, the anti-aircraft, the anti-tank weapons, because we can knock out their tanks like super easy. And then you just send in your CIA guys, uh, like the same guys that went to Afghanistan who are already there. We already have troops on the ground. Don't be confused. British special forces are already deployed. And what we do is we actually hope they invade. Because if they invade, we can kick the shit out of them one day at a time. 
and it's a hugely costly venture for Putin that could cost him his his power because they don't have a lot of money. That's why oil is $85 a barrel. So invading Ukraine is a much higher risk to Putin than it is to the West. If we lose Ukraine, it really doesn't mean anything to us. Okay, But Russia could get bogged down in a war that could be incredibly costly to them. Mm. If And so I don't see putting 5,000 troops in the ground as any – that's – that's a bad idea, actually. I, I think what we already are doing is what we need to do is you create a guerrilla war just like Afghanistan, and they have nightmares every day over Afghanistan. So uh, you, eastern Ukraine is like a modern Afghanistan, and if they want to get into it, they're going to be messed. But we should make it very clear to Russia that we intend on fighting them. Uh, and do you think Biden has not made that very clear and led no. to some uncertainty in the market? Biden is one of the worst Democratic presidents I've seen in my lifetime. He's, he's like if Dukakis would have won. I'm so disappointed with the Democrats right now. I'm a Democrat. Well, actually, I'm not. I, I, I gave up the party this year because I decided that they don't represent what wow. I think they should represent. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't believe That's in the big. progressive agenda. I don't believe in the progressive agenda. I think it's a regressive agenda. I think that we are handing our government over to the right wing because they're so incompetent. And a liberal set of ideas that make sense for this country would easily win out. But instead, we've moved into a bunch of policies and belief systems that only a very few people believe in. And that's socialism or the progressive or regressive belief system, the AOC and the, and the goofballs. So that's really bad for this country. And, and it's putting in power people. It will put in power people that have not the same moral direction as me, but I think ultimately will be better for the economy, you know, wow. better for the country. So, yeah, you, you know, it's probably it's bad. When, when Joe Biden has to say on a two-hour Q&A with media, I am not Bernie Sanders. <laughs> right, right. And, and he – and I think politics is always this balance between like trying to make all these different groups happy with a certain amount of them being unhappy. And you have to have uh, some sort of uh, like a political litmus test that you're willing to like – this is where I stand. You mm -hmm. know. So where does Biden really stand? And I don't know, like, because he's not, a, a, you know, saying this is what I think is right, you know. So whether it's like cannabis reform, which is an easy way to have a progressive win and let African-Americans out of prison and everybody's happy. Nobody's against cannabis reform and we don't have a bill. We don't have anything. No. You got nothing. If nothing. Biden wants to win an election, why don't you give us free legal weed? OK, mm -hmm. legal weed alone would be a huge boost for the Democrats. And they're so stupid, they can't even do that. Then they get <laughs> scammed by cinema and mansion pretending that they're Democrats. And we all know they're not. So pretending you have an equal majority or, or a majority in the Senate when you don't has served them nothing. Yeah. No, no, okay. No. So they don't have a majority in the Senate. They just don't. And they have to accept this and make a bipartisan bill. They need to start thinking like, instead of taxing everybody so much, what, how do we do something that both parties are going to agree to? Yeah. Because we're not going to pass anything otherwise. So you start with climate, because everybody can agree with that. You start with cannabis. Everybody can agree with that. You start with some sort of infrastructure. But the giving away free money to everybody is over. Yeah. You can go get a job, to be honest with you. I, as much as I care for people and I have sympathy for people who are in need, I have never seen the demand for labor in this country like it is right now. I have so, never in my life 
seeing the demand for labor that we have today in this country. How now? Just a, a few minutes ago, you mentioned that uh, we should send in the CIA with with Palantir. Uh, and now, you, you, some people have gotten a little upset because I don't know what you said, said but apparently you said about something it, yeah. about Palantir. Yeah. I'd love to just have an yeah, open dialogue about it because some people are upset with me too, and having getting it all listen, out there is a listen, good thing, Ross. The, what I said? No, it's not a good thing. I'll oh. tell you why, because. There's two things. One, I want to make it perfectly clear. I'm an American and I'm pro-America. Okay. I'm a patriot. Okay. My parents, my grandparents have served this country in the military. My, my dad is the longest serving member of the California Guard. He's 85 years old. He's still serving. He's the chief medical officer. I believe in a strong military. I, I believe very much in the American military and our power. So I don't want anybody here to think that I'm some sort of like Julia Assange loving liberal i hate snowden for example okay and i don't i think the wikileaks people are traitors okay so i want to start off by saying from a perspective of i support american uh strength but i do not think we should be outsourcing our cia activities to a private company now i don't want to go into it any more than that because they attack me and they attack me viciously again after my last comments okay but that's the way this world works. And if you want to know some of the shit that you don't really want to know, so I can't talk about it. I literally just can't talk about it. It's just not worth putting my family at risk. So wow. that's my thing. It's not okay. worth it. Well, that's, we'll leave it at that one. Okay. So yeah. then let's go to jobs. So uh, look, I think the last time we talked, uh, I, I don't know, or maybe I tweeted it. I, I can't remember. The last time we talked, Around that time, I talked about how automation companies, which are companies trying to make robots to replace employees, can't find yeah. employees for work, right? Uh, what, what? At some point, though, the expectations for pay will stop and businesses will stop hiring and we'll get back to a normal level, right? When When is that coming? When are we getting to normal wage growth? So it's kind of what's happening in my company. So you go through this period of like, Everybody gets the raise, right? Because everybody's making more money. But then they're going to come back next year and we're going to be like, look, we gave you a big raise last year. So it's in yeah. a year. In a year. Okay. So okay. Okay. the next year you'll see normalization and you'll also see a lot of the sort of benefits have dropped off and that, that excess spending that we got from the pent up benefits that people had saved plus the market gains that they had. Remember, there's also a wealth effect. And so a lot of young people felt wealthy because of their Bitcoin gains and their stock yeah. market gains. So they got their stimmies, they put it in Robinhood, they tripled their money and their two grand was now 10 grand and they started spending more money. Yes. Okay. And that's a real thing when the public is investing. There was really no wealth effect for a long time because Obama, like people weren't in the Obama bull market, you know, but, mm. but they were, they got in under the sort of Trump bull market and, and they really got into the last pandemic bull market. Right. And so like, People were like spending money they didn't have. Like you saw the TikTok videos of like the dudes with the Lambo and they're like 25 and they're like, I'm a trader. Here's all my screens and here's my Lambo and here's my day. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, 0% of your day involves reading anything. <laughs> <laughs> no so, kidding, dude. Like, oh my 0 god. 0% of your day involved doing an actual research on the stock, you know, which is where I spend about 80% of my time is 
Like, I'm going through the fucking nooks and crannies of MGM. Yeah, I'm man. looking through the fucking dumpsters because I want to see how business is. I'm yes. going on the app because I can't use the app here. I'm trying, you know, gambling apps are much more complicated than I realized. Like the whole ga- online gambling thing because why? Because of the we laws. Don't have it. Like you try to use DraftKings in California. It's like freaking impossible, man. DraftKings wasn't that hard, actually, oh. relative to you can't even use the other apps. I got left I went, behind. Yeah. <laughs> it's not too bad, right? No, but but MGM like just bought Cosmo, and we were at the Cosmopolitan, and Cosmo's the, one of the best properties on the strip by far, and it was huge score to get Cosmo, and they're going to be able to now upgrade operations and gather all this data on the younger generation for the Bet MGM app, and like the the sportsbook operation at Cosmo is decent, but it needs to be modernized. And what they've done in the MGM hotels, which is kind of crazy, is like when you go into the sportsbook now. Like you just can use the app. You don't have to like bet at the desk. You know, like you used to go up to the desk. There was nobody even at the desk and it was like a wow. sign. It was like, just download the fucking app, you know? And so you like sit there and you bet on your app and you're in this great sports book. But I was sitting here thinking the leverage that a company like MGM has with their lists and their, and their clients and the, and the casinos, you know, it's such a huge advantage over DraftKings where it's like, sort of like I sign up, I lose and I move on. But with MGM, you go to the hotels, you go to the shows, you go to dinner, you, it all comes in with the app and all your credits. So you're like dumb if you go to Vegas not to use the Bet MGM app because you get all the credits for your MGM, which is like all the good hotels in Vegas. You know, mm-hmm. so then in Vegas you have the Win, which is the other wonderful properties that are in Vegas are the Win, but it's poorly managed since Steve Wynn was kicked out. So mm-hmm. and the Win has half their business in Macau, which isn't coming back that anytime soon. You know, it's going to take some time. And so Wynn is a little bit hobbled. Um, Venetian, they just lost their founder and CEO, died of old age, Sheldon Adelson, who's like the grandfather of Vegas. They don't also have great management. And they're really levered to conventions, which is going to take more time to come back. But MGM is now in the prime position. And they just shed all their casino ownerships for cash. So they've got cash. And they've got this app. And now the business is growing like and it's just going to keep growing and growing as the conventions come back. But what hit me in Vegas this time is that companies, because of the hybrid workplace, are going to have to rely on conventions and meet meetings and get-togethers to build culture. And Vegas is a great place to do that in Central America. And so as, as COVID ends, more and more companies are going to immediately book conventions and events in Vegas for their teams and for their customers because it's the best place – to get people together and the easiest place to get people together and build culture. And that's going to be the biggest challenge that companies face in the hybrid workspace is building culture. And that's where these conventions I think are going to become very, very important for companies. And it's going to be a big win for Vegas over the next five years as it recovers. So Vegas is in the early stages of the recovery now, but what we've seen are incredibly encouraging. So MGM hit 50. Now it's $42. It's up today all day. Actually, it didn't decline at all today. And um, I, I, I like super bullish. I was a buyer today. I, I was really happy with I see management's excellent. Do you think you would ever move your operation to like Florida or Vegas for those benefits? Well, my operation is, relevant of my family you know the hardest part would be my family because and first of all i'll never move to florida i'll never move to florida my entire life i don't care what happens okay and i you don't, don't like go ron in. desantis come on man 
he's the worst. I like Nikki though. Nikki is running against him. Nikki Freed for governor. Um, and I like Florida in general, but I'm not raising my kids in that state. No way. Okay. No way. It's not the values that I live by. And I'm not trying to make a judgment. Like I'm fine with the values that Florida people have. They're not my values, but I'm not judging them. Okay. But my values are much more represented here in Southern California, the things I believe in, you know. And so I want my kids to, to, to grow up in that world. Um, secondly, um, I'm, I don't believe in moving places for taxes. Okay. Okay. I, I think life is too short to sit around in a place you don't want to really live in just to save some money. That makes sense. Uh, and I'm, that... you know, not in that world. Like I live where I want to live. I don't care. That makes sense. So now here's a question for you on the market. Personal savings are back to 2019 levels. We are 66% higher in stock market margin today than where we were in January of 2020 before the pandemic. So savings are down. Margin is way up. Uh, at the same time, now the Federal Reserve of New York this morning re released a study and they said uh, our latest survey indicates that people are spending more money on essentials and as a result, less money on non-essentials because they have less money for non-essentials. So non-essentials would be like our, buying a new iPhone or iPad or computer or refrigerator or whatever, right? But they're spending more money on gas and food because of inflation. How much do you think that's going to weigh on the FOMC over the next two days? I mean, that's a stat straight from the Fed today. So data gathering at the Fed is not accurate. <laughs> okay. Okay. Government statistics are not accurate. We use 0% of them, okay? What the hell do they know what people are really doing, okay? They just look at numbers. They don't actually like survey people, I don't think, right? They're just looking at numbers. They're saying, look at the spending's gone up here and the spending's gone down here and this and that and this and that. Okay, now, most people, of course, are spending more money on food and gas, okay? But they're also making more money. And they've got stimulus checks. So the question is, is our wages outpacing inflation? And the answer is yes, in most cases. Okay. The answer is yes, actually. So if you look at how much, I would say wages have gone up for especially service type jobs, anywhere from 10 to 20%. Okay. Which is what's really kind of driving the inflation too, is actually wage growth. Okay. Because that makes it more expensive to buy food when the waiters get paid more. So you know, what we're seeing, a lot of the inflationary pressure is coming from energy, and that's completely manipulatable down. Okay, so this is what I keep telling people. Actually, my inflation rate hasn't gone up at all. Why? Because I have a Tesla. Okay, I don't, <laughs> my gas prices haven't gone up. My transportation costs haven't gone up. What costs of mine have actually gone up? Right. Food, a little bit of food, but, you know. It's gas, so, it's used car prices, it's energy, it's transportation. So it's like when you're shipping ship, it's more expensive. But for the most part, most of the inflation has been absorbed by the companies themselves. And they haven't really raised prices. And then you're seeing that in margins with several of the companies that have reported already. You know, it's like maybe margins are a little tighter in some of these companies because they, they're paying more for shipping, for example. But they're okay. not really passing it on. My wife deals with this with her company, Wildling.com. It's a beauty company. She she does a lot of shipping from China back and forth and the whole thing. And, and that's been hard and more expensive. But she hasn't changed the price 
of her actual product and her sales are off the fucking charts. You know, so they make a little less margin, but you got a lot more sales. You add up with net more money. And that's that what sense. I think we're going to see this quarter. And they'll all complain about supply chain issues and all say this or that. And, and S&P profit margins actually reached an all-time high, I think it was two quarters ago. And then last quarter was a close second, right? So actually margins are bigger than ever before. Why? Technology adoption. Technology adoption. So a lot of companies, like let's say the restaurant industry, are using this wonderful product called Toast. Toast is a public company, and it is a very good company. Are you buying right? it? No, because it doesn't have earnings. And you can't <laughs> buy stocks that don't have earnings in a rising interest rate environment. So write okay. this down, that, kids. Write if that down. That's a good one. Okay. Rising interest rate environment means that stocks without earnings can go down all the way down to 20. Okay. okay? So I have this theory that stocks without earnings are all worth $20. Okay. What about Robinhood? Well, in this case, they're even worse. <laughs> but I told everybody that from the beginning that buying Robinhood stock was like basically the dumbest thing you could ever do. You did. But, uh, You've yeah. hated Robinhood stock. And that was and so obvious. So right. That that's I don't even take credit for that. That was too obvious, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, <laughs> but so like I think investors need to look at their portfolio. So this is the second part of my meeting. What do you own? How well do you know what you own? See, I own Tesla. And I know Tesla's going to blow out numbers all fucking year. I know it. You know, my estimates are anywhere close to $15 a share. And if that if they hit $15 a share this year and it's trading at $8.50 like it was this morning, that's like 50 times earnings or something. That's such a fucking buy. And we pick some up. I haven't really aggressively bought Tesla in a while. But what do you make it, of Kathy selling? Made money. Kathy is done. She's done. She lost the mojo. Like, I don't know what's wrong with her. I, I feel like we were so in touch with each other, like during like 17 and 18 and all of our ideas, even through 20, like lined up. Mm -hmm. And then like they had so much success and we did too, you know, with Tesla and, and our tech picks, especially in 20, you know, like we killed it in 20, like she did. Okay. And when 21 rolled around, like, we just looked at the world differently because it was opening up. Zoom wasn't that attractive anymore. Not because it's, I don't use it every day. It's because of the valuation, you know, now Zoom's starting to get cheap at 40 times earnings. Right. But like loading up on the way down in tech stocks that aren't working, isn't the way I manage money. Got it. So uh, what happens is you have to understand that your mindset has to have flexibility when it's not working for you, you know, like some things might not be working for me at certain points of time. And it's happened to me too. Don't worry. I'm not perfect. I've had these moments, but I got a team of people who yell and call me idiot and shit like that. And I don't know if her team says that to her. I don't got know it. if people, <laughs> trust me, my team says things to me that other people might fire those people. Okay. Interesting. So, so in other words, I actually encourage it. Now, last time you were on, you were talking about this like battlefield mentality that y'all have where y'all shouting at each other. Like maybe the Titanic just hit the iceberg and everybody's you know, like, you're, you're saying that's a good fun. thing. Yeah. Today was no, today was leadership day. Today was the day we get to do what we like to do. That's when panics in the air and shits down 10%. 
and that's when we get to play. So this morning we were like, put on the fucking helmets, guys. We're landing on the beach. We're buying today. And people are like, really? And I go, I don't want to hear anything from you guys. I'm not saying buy the farm, but we're buying stocks today. So I want you to get on the, your computers the minute this meeting's over and start buying stocks. Okay. And that was a hugely profitable day for us from that perspective. Not that we took a huge bet because we're not market timers. But when we know when the people are scared the most, when I'm getting calls that Kevin sold all his stocks, I'm a buyer. I'm so a that's buyer. awesome. <laughs> that's good, what good. we'll take your stock cheap. Ooh, because good I'm not going there. I'm not so, going anywhere. You know, I, so I'll be here in ten years. I'll be oh, on your show. I'm in not 10 going years. anywhere either. Right. So what? Uh, how much more pain do we have uh, going forward? Because see, that's the big question. See, you're suggesting pain. we've got a lot of pain going forward. You mm -hmm. are in a different position than I in, in that you're a fund manager. So you've got to take care of all the clients. It doesn't make sense for, for people who, who have portfolios to try to day trade that, right? That that makes zero sense at all. Like, we no don't. fund manager trades for someone I else, can right? day trade it? The only difference between me and you is I know I can't do it, right? So we do, <laughs> no, we, we do dollar cost averaging. So yes. like, we buy every dip for my entire life. Now, now I'm 50. So I started buying dips when I was about 16. Okay. The first big dip was 87. I remember that. Yeah. People were fucking jumping out of buildings. They literally jumped out of buildings. Really? Market fell 40% in two days, or it was like one day and it kind of rallied back. And then the third day, another 20%. So it was 20%. A little bit and then 20%. And you were down 40%. Yeah. Okay. People jumped out of buildings and a fucking market recovered by the end of the year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, 87 was an up year. Most people don't realize that. Yeah. Because before 87, the market had doubled in a year. So people just don't remember that you made 100% a year and then it drops 40%. And you're like, oh, and then panic. it rallies back, and 87 was like an up 3 or 4% year, as I recall. So oh, yeah. it was like all this machinations, and if you just didn't do anything, it was a decent year. And that's one of the things we've learned the most in my experience investing is sometimes doing nothing is just the best thing. Just turn off that's the fucking computer. That's so funny computer. you say that. Yeah, that's, it's funny you say that. On uh, on Saturday, I made my video talking about why personally selling was the right, deci it was the right decision for me. But I mentioned in that, look, if, first of all, if you're a passive investor, Buying the dip is the best thing to do. Just buy your 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 funds or whatever and and yeah. move on. Uh, but the, another thing that I mentioned is the other honestly sometimes best thing to do is just do nothing. Walk away from your portfolio. Yeah. Don't look at your portfolio. I if didn't you don't look, look at, at it, this it weekend. You can't get freaked out by it. You know. Yeah, I didn't now, look at anything. Uh, yeah, me personally. Hey, you know what? I'm doing a little bit of a trade. I like it. I had a put on Friday. I closed it today. I made half a million dollars and I didn't lose $3 nice. million, <laughs> you know? So like that, that doesn't mean I'm going to be net up. I've got taxes to deal with. Who cares? I could have been upside down making that trade, right? Listen, but whatever. There's, there's trading and there's investing. And I think it, it's important to it, understand. And they're both. very, very different. That's and, right. and that's what's so important for folks to remember is if they're a long-term investor, don't, don't trade this crap. If you're a trader, then trade. But, but right. separate those two. Very, well, we very have, I have like a separate account. Like, so like most of my investments are just investments and that's yes. done very well for me because one of the things I've tracked over my life, which you might not like this stat is that the more you trade, the less money you make. Oh, so, you are right. So absolutely. I'm a very strategic trader, yeah. you know? So like, you know, when I do trade, I want to 
I kind of take big swings at stuff and that's just like a part of my portfolio. But right. the majority of the money I have, I'm not doing anything with because like I own Tesla. The only thing I care about is how well Tesla's doing. If the stock goes down this much, I actually bought some for myself personally. I haven't done that in so long, but at under 900, it's just math to me. Let it's me just ask math, you this. right? Are you uh, buying, or I'm sorry, are you selling puts to try to get in on these positions or are you just trying to buy no. shares? No. So one of the things I've found in my life as well, mm -hmm. and if you have a lot of time to mess around with options all day and try to make a little bit extra money with those things, I, yeah. I, I'm not trying to discourage you from doing that. But when you manage over $2 billion and thousands of accounts, your most important strategy is efficiency. Like yes. what's efficient to do? And not sitting to, there with options. <laughs> well, yeah. not that. It's just like, do I like the stock or do I don't like the stock? Like I can buy, sell puts <laughs> against it and, and maybe save a few bucks, but maybe not because there's a, a, there's a relationship between the risk and reward and options that's usually pretty asymmetric. So like mm. you're not really outsmarting anybody. You know, like you guys understand what I mean by like options pricing is very accurate to risk and reward. Yes. So when you're right on an option, you're actually really fucking smart because it's really rigged against you. It's really rigged against you. You've got time and, and direction working yeah, against yeah. you. Okay. So like selling calls, we've talked about this on your show is the easiest trade in my weekly. Mind. You like, yeah. Like selling the weekly calls, yeah. you know, or yeah, not right now. Don't do that right now. Cause oh, thank you for back. saying that. Yeah, thank yeah. you for saying that. Don't sell calls at the bottom. No, of the market. no, 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 no. You <laughs> yeah. know, if, if, if Powell does what he did in 18 and he goes out and, and says, don't worry, I'm not going to kill the economy on Wednesday, yes. we're going to get a five, seven percent day instantly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then when it happens, you will know. So he might not do it. I'm not saying he's going to do it, but like he could easily make the market go up five to seven percent on Wednesday. And I'm not betting on that. So I want I don't want any. So what I do in these times is not try to bet what's going to happen next. What I do is I go back to work. And I go, what is Tesla going to earn this year? Now, Gary's telling me they could do 14 or $15 a share this year. We had them at 10, 12. I was working around 10. Well, if they can do 14, and any way you look at it, the, the stock should be over 1,000 to 900. So you got to buy. Okay. You got stocks like NVIDIA that typically trade at 50 times earnings that are still kind of expensive, but are growing really, really fast. And then you got stocks that are just dirt cheap, stocks that just don't make any sense, like this Fulgen Genetics I own. It's like a coronavirus testing company. It's a small cap. It's gotten hammered. It trades at two times earnings or something. It's insane. Something is wrong here. This stock is worth way more. Look at Moderna. You'd think that coronavirus was a bad thing for Moderna. It trades at like, Six times earnings, I think. It's, I don't get it. Look at Lennar. It trades at seven times earnings. So there's plenty of low PE stuff you can buy that make no sense, that could easily make you some good money. And then your high PE, no earnings stocks are what you have the most risk of. It's so just are, what you're the you, most in, in this sort of buying. market. Whatever Kathy's buying has the most risk. Oh, so, so let me ask you this. Let's just say, you had a portfolio because you've been smitten with, with Kathy Wood over the last couple of years. You believe right. maybe there's a chance of innovative deflation, whatever. Uh, let's say 
you have a portfolio and it is it is 10 Kathy Woodian stocks. It's it's oh. T-Doc. I don't know. I don't think she owns lemonade, but it's like the lemonade. Or I like but it's all profitables. What do you do? You sell it. <laughs> you sell it. Now, is that paper handing or is that rebalancing? Rebalancing. I'm not saying sell stocks and get out of stocks. You just got to accept where the market's going. So where does the market go in a rising interest rate environment? You can just look it up in history. Okay. There's just plenty of rising interest rate environments I've lived through, and I can tell you exactly what does well. It's financials mm-hmm. and healthcare. Those tend to be the areas that are not the financials get the advantage. And, you know, so how does it work? So we added Schwab to my fund GK and we're adding Schwab right now as our financial Schwab is a broker dealer and they manage money for lots of people. They don't charge commissions. How they make their money is on their cash balances that people hold in their accounts. Like right now we've raised cash. So we have, tons of money, millions of dollars in cash at Schwab and LPL. Now, these firms don't pay any interest on cash. We have to move it into money markets or bond funds. Now, unfortunately, bond funds are the worst investment you can make right now. Okay, so write that down too. In a rising interest rate environment, there is no safety in the bond market. So you have to hold cash. You just got to hold cash. It's the only thing that works. Okay, so maybe I bought some of these like... uh, it's T, I think it's TDTT. It's like the one to three year tips, you know, like uh. short term stuff, like JPST, which is like the JP Morgan short term fund earns like 1%. But any anything that's not hedged to higher rates and it's a bond, you're going to lose for sure. So, so from an allocation perspective, the risk reward to bonds is the worst deal ever. Okay. You just don't want to be involved with it. So then when you think about the stock section of your portfolio, the high PE stuff is what's most vulnerable at risk as rates go higher because it just compresses the valuation that the computer spits out because it's based off the 10-year treasury yield. Mm. So so when computers model a stock valuation, they discount it back based off the 10-year yield. Because you, when you buy a stock, you should think about it as a 10-year investment and how much it's going to earn over the next 10 years. So if I buy Tesla today and it earns $15 a share this year, I can figure out what I think Tesla is going to earn if you add up all its earnings over the next 10 years and you can get a number. okay? and then you have to discount that by what interest rate I would probably get if I didn't take any risk. okay? that's kind of how models work for valuations. And so as rates go higher, it pushes down the valuation on high growth stocks. So we use a ratio called PEG, which is the PE to growth ratio. And that's why if a Tesla is trading at 75 times earnings and it's growing earnings at over 100%, it's cheap in our book. Less than one cheap. Less than one is cheap. More than one is expensive. And that's what we use for valuing stocks on a, how would I say, rudimentary basis, on a simplistic basis. So so each stock's different depending on the business they're in. So if you're in real estate, it's a different valuation, for example, than if I'm in uh, Teladoc. But- but it's still, even if we adjust, PEG kind of evens that out. So Lennar is a perfect example. Growing earnings 20 30% a year, trading at a seven-time PE. The PEG ratio is ridiculous on Lennar. And, and rates are going up, so the stocks get hit 20%. But nobody's not buying a house because mortgages went up 50 basis points. Housing demands are insane. Real estate, residential, insane. It's insane. Do you, you, know do you think it'll last? Or, or are we going to see yeah. a housing market correction? No, no, the demand, it's demand and supply. You know this more, better than me. The, the demand for housing has far outpaced the supply for years. 
for mm-hmm. years. And now the millennials reach 35 years old and they get married to the girlfriend they've had for 10 years that they're scared to break up with. And the girl wants a house and they want a kid. Okay, that's the millennials. And, and, and they need to buy a house now. So now the millennials, they don't have to work in the office. They can go move to uh, Stockton or, or they can go move to Fresno or where the hell they want to live that's cheaper. And they want to buy a house. And they want to buy a house. It's the same demographic thing when the baby boomers got of age. The millennials are an even bigger demo than the baby boomers. So if you really want to make money in the stock market, you got to look at demo trends. And the baby boomers um, are now dying. So it's probably a good investment to own like a funeral home. But like, uh, sadly, sadly yeah. it is. Um, but like, if you're a millennial investor and you think about what millennials are doing, they're buying houses. What about- and, they, and there's just not enough. What, what about fintech? You know, they've been getting destroyed. I mean, the the you, you talked financials, which we're generally thinking value like the banks, JP Morgan, Schwab, I think you had it. But fintech, PayPal, PayPal, Jim Cramer just pumped PayPal. Now, in fairness, he did pump Netflix on January 5th. And, uh, and I that like didn't Netflix go. too, though. I like okay, Netflix okay. a lot here. So, so PayPal. So PayPal Square and Coin have been fucking losers in my portfolio for sure. <laughs> Like, I'm super disappointed. Obviously, we added them at probably the worst time. But, like, it doesn't change my allocation to them, which is about 5% or less now because they've gone down. Okay. Unfortunately, neither none of those three were cheap to start with. Yeah. And they're all great businesses. I have sold none of them. Okay. Um, if you like fintech it, and you don't own them, it might be an opportunity to add them here. But – okay. They will have more volatility than other stocks, but I would argue that they're way oversold, and it's and those are the future financials, even though they don't get anything from interest rates. Schwab makes money on interest rates because all the cash balances will all of a sudden make Schwab money. So the way it works now is, let's say Schwab's got a hundred billion in cash for customers, they pay no interest, but they earn no interest. So when rates go up twenty-five basis points, they keep the twenty-five basis points. When rates go up fit to 50 basis points, they keep the 50 basis points. When rates go up to 75 basis points, they give you 0.1. You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. at, they don't equally raise what they pay their customers with what the Fed does. So every rate hike gives Schwab free money. That's why JB Diamond's like, I hope they do four rates. I hope they do five because it's uh-huh. like free money for every bank. Uh-huh. It's free money. Okay. So Schwab is a big beneficiary because they basically make 60% of their profits from cash. Got it. Uh, What about, I wrote down here that you're saying we've got more volatility to expect. Yeah. Uh, If, if let's just say, let's make an example. You are all cash right now. And you're like, look, I love buying the dip. I'm going to buy the dipper. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to get ripped off. I don't want to go all in tomorrow. And then J-Pow rug pulls me right. on Wednesday. Right. How do you recommend, because you are a financial advisor. I know you, I don't yeah. think you can give financial advice broadly to people, but but whatever. You no, can, I, I don't. You can claim that it, however you want. But, but well, this what, is what do broad. you recommend? Well, this is a broad concept. It's called dollar cost averaging. This is how we do it. Like today I was a buyer, but I wasn't like everybody buy every stock you can find we just know depending on how many capitulation calls we get what how much we should buy so we literally let client behavior determine our actions so when they call us to do something we do the opposite it's just like a casino in that sense like 
everybody betting on the games this weekend. You know, it's like, ah, yeah. this is, you know, the casino just takes the other side and they win. Yeah. You know, and, and that's ultimately the same fallacy of the same emotional decision making that's being done, whether it's sports betting or stock betting. Uh-huh. So, so when people are feeling panicky and we really start seeing the panic and we certainly see it on Twitter, it's bullish to us. So we buy a little. So if you buy, let's say I got this year, because we think long term, this year is going to be volatile. And I think by the end of the year, it's going to be an up year by a few percent. So, so not like, yeah, and probably low returns year for sure. So you're not going to miss out if you don't go all in tomorrow is what you're thinking. Well, if you go in all the tomorrow, you're going to make back the 15% we're down or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, so that's going to be a great year if you start tomorrow. That, that was also our meeting. I was like, if you get a new client today, they're going to love you a lot more than the clients we got six months ago. You know, <laughs> we got these six-month clients who are like, wait, the market's down. I thought it always goes up. And I'm like, Dude, yeah. it's been six months. Like, you know? Like, I'm sorry, started at the top, but we had people start, you know, I had a client start in, you know, it was like December 08, you know, and it was like uh, our first month we were down 50%, you know, and, and, and they're still clients today and they love me. You know, this one guy is like, man, you're the genius of all time. And it was mostly luck because he had transferred account in December 08. And then like some of the money didn't come in and then it came in as cash because, uh, he had, it was a 401k rollover. So it sold out before the market went down. And then I got the cash while the market was going down. And then I didn't do anything because I was scared to death. And then I started dollar cost averaging at the low. I didn't know when it was the low, but I just would put a little to work. And back then it was like horrifying. It was fucking horrifying. You know, like you know- I bought Apple. That was like the only stock. I bought <laughs> Apple and like some high yield bonds. But Apple was like the only stock I was like willing to buy. That's how scared I was. And, and boy, that worked out well. And, oh, and, yeah. And, and, but it was dollar cost averaging. Uh, this guy, client today thinks, still to this day, thinks I'm a genius. And I was like, dude, it was just the luck of the transfer. I, I like admit it. You know, I'm like, it was just lucky, you know. So luck is part of life. So well, dollar cost averaging is, let's say you got 100000 to invest in cash right now. So maybe I put in 10000 right now because if Powell says something good, I can make some money. Powell says something bad, it goes down, I can put 10000 in next month. Good. And 10000 a month. So if you, if you actually track this over time, dollar cost averaging will get you higher rates of return over time than just buying the market right now and letting it ride. Okay, so, so dollar cost average over lump sum, so to speak. Right, over okay. time it's a much better way to invest. And so in times like these, that strategy works the best because we really don't know what's going to happen, but we know yeah. the markets have come down to a valuation that's much more reasonable. Okay. Yeah. So if I start now, it could be a great opportunity for me when I look back a few years from now. So that's the other thing I have to caution people. Investing is a long-term thing. When you buy into a private equity fund, I don't know how much private equity you do. You do a lot of real estate, but the same idea with real estate. So a guy comes to you and says, I'm going to start a real estate investment. Uh, I need you know, 250000 So you invest 250000 with this guy. He says, we're going to build a bunch of houses out here in Monrovia or wherever. And you're like, oh, it sounds great. Okay. Well, do you call him back like three weeks later and say, how much money did we make? No. <laughs> yeah. How about a year? You call him in a year. You go, how much money do we make? He's like, probably not. Not on real estate. 
I just yeah. dug a hole, you know? And then the second year you call him, you go, how much money? He says, oh, I'm still doing foundations and whatever. Yeah. And the third year you call, you go, haven't we made money yet? He says, no, I'm finishing the houses now. I haven't sold any of them yet. You know, and the fourth, and to- then by the eighth year you get paid back and maybe you make a lot of money. Do you see what I'm it's saying? It's kind of interesting. I mean, look, you, you invest in like, let, let's say you invested a few hundred grand in public.com or whatever. It's like, right. am I checking the value of public.com every day? No, nope. don't care. <laughs> like, let me know company. in 10 years what it's worth, you know? That's right. And, yeah. and, and so the fact that stocks allow you to sell and have liquidity every day is an advantage. So it's like, I own private equity. Like I invested in these cannabis companies in a private fund long ago and it's done well. Like they write on paper that it's done well. I just don't get to have any of it yet. Right. You know? And so like, I'm like, when does this ever pay off? A, a perfect example is the opportunity funds. You know, um, oh, yeah. opportunity funds have been a very, very lucrative way for wealthy people to invest in real estate tax free. And opportunity funds have a minimum seven year hold period to really get the tax advantage. And yeah. so most of the funds are seven to 10 year holds, and they really recommend a 10 year hold for real estate investments. So when you invest in a fund, and this is why I didn't do it, because I was like, dude, I got to wait 10 years to even like open it up and say how much money I made, you know, like I rather invest in the stock and at least I know every day, you know, and I can do something about it. So I hate private investments, even though the valuation looks like you never lost money or made money, you know, you can't touch it forever. So if you bought a stock today and you said, I'm not even going to look at it for five years, you would do yourself such a service. Think about it. If you bought like my fund, you know, GK has Tesla, NVIDIA, Microsoft, Apple, Lennar, lithium production. You know, these are the top holdings. Just buy it and don't worry about it for five years. Like, you'll be happy. You'll be really happy. And that's like the whole idea. Even when these times happen to me, like I've lost a lot of money personally, too. I don't even look. I don't, don't even look. look. Why? Psychology. Simple, simple Why? psychology. So behavioral management is nine tenths of investing. Yeah. What do you think about this? So you talk about 2008 and 2009. In 2000, in October of 2008, the the federal government passed TARP, $700 billion. Yeah. Yeah, Market kept falling. Okay. Market kept falling until February of 09. This is when the Fed came out with their temporary loan facilities. And they're like, you know what? Ben Bernanke, you know what? We're willing to spend a trillion dollars on the economy. And then the stock market goes zoom. Okay. What do we do? What do we do now since we literally got the opposite happening? Well, because that already happened. See, so you're just later in the cycle. So when the financial crisis happened, there was a series of measures the government took that didn't work. And it was brutal. So as things cascaded down, They were like, let's do TARP, let's do this. But it was an unprecedented time and the politicians really didn't know what to do. Okay, so give Ben Bernanke a lot of credit because it was Paulson too. Paulson was the guy who had, yeah, he had real world experience. He came from Goldman. That ended up being crucial in solving the problem because the problem ended when they sat them all down. It was the head of Jamie Dimon, and the Citigroup guy, and the AIG people, and all the major firms went to the Fed. And Bernanke and, Powell, and, and uh, um, Paulson sat them down. 
And he forced all the banks to take $25 billion in cash. And he forced, like, J.P. Morgan to buy Washington Mutual. And he, they basically told the banking system that you're going to do what we tell you to do, and you're going to take this money. You guys created this fucking problem, and you guys are going to have to deal with it. Or there's a risk many of you won't be at this table soon. So they all had to take $25 billion, whether they like it or not. And then the Fed came in and said the same thing they did in the old days, that we'll spend any amount of money to protect the economy. And that's what turned the market. It had yeah. never been done. And at the time, there was this massive discussion about the concept of moral hazard, which is if they do this, then banks will never have a responsibility to be responsible. Right. So we need to create Dodd-Frank, which is still here today, to force banks to be responsible, which they have been. Dodd-Frank probably being the most successful thing because you haven't seen one bank come out and say, we're going to explode now because of trading. Or we're going out of business because of trading, or we're going business because of COVID losses. Okay, no, so the, when the banks held through so well, I mean the amount right. of credit losses they set aside. I remember they took March it all of back. All, remember March of 2020, going through the JPM earnings calls and the, uh, the the earnings reports, and I'm looking at, oh my gosh, they're setting aside eight billion for losses in credit cards, ten billion for this, and it was just like write off, write off, write off, and they were fearful. The U-turn was absolutely incredible. Now, but cool, I want—I got to ask you this. I know you said we've already done that. We've already done the money printing. But wait a minute. Are we going the opposite direction now? Now, now we're, we're reversing the gears. Did you see my Titanic video? I didn't. I didn't. Okay, okay. No, it's, it's, that's what's happening right now. Okay, we're no. turning the other way, man. But it's no, just now no, starting. No, no, no. So, so then the pandemic hits, right? And the difference between let's say where we were thinking in december january of 2020 to where we were march april was massive right like we went from like oh it's in china and oh this could be a big problem to oh and fortunately trump did the worst job possible at preparing this country for coronavirus because he didn't even believe in it so next thing it comes to america and people start getting sick and next thing you know we're locked down we like in our lives will never see this again where the entire country was shut down. Like, I can't stress to you enough that we will never see this happen again. We'll never do it again. It was a horrible idea. It saved zero lives. And ultimately, it has done nothing but create tremendous damage to the economy. And I don't think it saved anybody's lives to do this because nobody really ended up following this after two months. So... The Fed came in and said the same thing in the financial crisis. We're not even worried about moral hazard anymore. Here's fucking money for everything, for everything. And the market went down in February, March, 35%. 35% decline, okay, in a short period of time. So I did uh, almost 60% decline between 2000 and 2003. So it was a three-year rolling bear market. Brutal, longest bear market in history. Brutal, biggest mistake I ever made after two years. Well, there was never a bear market longer than this, so maybe a good time to buy. <laughs> Another year, <laughs> I got and murdered. murdered. Is, is that potentially why you have the mindset of let me stagger my um, purchases? Yeah, dollar cost averaging for sure. Because you think things are all clean and good because you read some book that said it never was worse than this. <laughs> Whenever somebody tells you the stock market has never done this before, you should assume that record will be broken. 
Okay. Honest. Watch Got out it. for the person who says that's never happened before. It's going to happen. Gotcha. So, uh, and then in the financial crisis as well, we did about a 50% decline, almost 60% decline from top to bottom. So in two months, I'm down 35% thinking I'm going to be down 50% by the time I'm done. Right. And then the Fed comes in and does the unimaginable prints tons of money, does all this stuff. People sitting at home, they're getting checks left and right. They start trading stocks. The market comes back. People have money. They don't starve to death. Uh, things start opening up. People come back. By July, Corona's gone. Everybody's in full party mode. Biden says it's over, right? And then it comes back, right? So when you think about where we are in the cycle, we're not in the part of the cycle where things get really bad. That already happened, okay? I drove to work. There wasn't a car on the road. I videotaped this. We made a commercial during this time, a GK commercial for the Laker mm -hmm. games. And I asked the, our photographers at my cocoon, uh, my entertainment company, to go out and shoot LA right now because we'll never see this again. So they went out and shot it and it's in our commercial. I, I'll repost it on YouTube uh, today. And you watch this thing. It was June Please. and I put, I put it in the bottom of the, of the commercial because I wanted it to be known for history. It was June 2020 when we did it. And it's just a bunch of images uh, that were shot by our photographers with music. And it was like a hopeful message commercial. Okay. And you, I watched it today. I can't even run it. It's so fucking depressing. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, fuck, things were bad. The tumbleweeds and everything. Huh? And the Black Lives Matter thing, social unrest, you know, people yeah. were bitter and unhappy. Santa Monica got destroyed. We had riots in the streets. Things were bad, really bad for a good period of time, you know, and the markets reflected that. That is not where we're at today. So okay. remember, Mar people always say, well, stocks aren't the economy. Stocks aren't real life. No, no, that's not true. It's that in the short term, it doesn't always accurately reflect what's happening. But over the long term, it's always right. Okay. So, so you're, you're a long run bull here. Country. Things are very good in this country right now. Once again, the only indicator I care about that really scares me is unemployment. If unemployment soars, the markets will go down. You will go down hard. Look at your charts right now. There has never been a tough market without unemployment going up substantially. And that's exactly what happened in 2020. And where are we today? Is unemployment going up dramatically? Not even close. It's the opposite. I can't pay my people enough. They'll get another job. I just lost a guy to Wells Fargo for some bullshit. I go, you're going to Wells Fargo. It's like the devil. The devil. It's a customer service person. And, and, and I don't want to tell you the specifics because it's super annoying. But they'll offer this person the world. And I'm like, wow. Because they work at GK. And I'm like, you're an idiot. You're missing out. You know, like, whatever. But like, my nanny, uh, my restaurant guys, um, anybody in the services profession can get a raise right now if they ask. Wow. So this is a wonderful time to be it working. So this is a great economy. We're at the beginning of a recovery. We're at the beginning of the part of the growth part. So rates have to move up to what a good economy rates look like. Hmm. And so this adjustment period is hard. It was very similar to 94. Um, very tough year, um, very similar year, I think, as we'll see today. And then it led into 95, 96, and 97, and 98, and 99. 
What about uh, small so hopefully caps? Powell does a good job. Yeah. What What do you think about small caps? Do you think they have a chance? There are, There are a lot of them that are profitable, but just have gotten destroyed, whether it's by the short yeah. sellers or whatever. I think the valuation thing is what we look at. So what do we okay. think the company's worth? What's it trading at today? Small caps have a lot of value. See, what's happened in the market, and this is why fund managers like me are underperforming the S&P over the last month or two, by a lot. Okay, The reason is, is that we own small and mid caps. And when the market gets tough, all the fund managers just hide into Apple and they go hide into you know all the big cap techs, right? And so they suck money out of the small and mids and it all goes into the bigs. And you see that in the different indexes. Look at the Russell 2000 versus the S&P. It's, it's a stark difference in performance. So small caps have been brutalized for a long time relative to large caps. Okay. I, so what point so I think does there's it make a sense? lot of value in small and mid caps out there. Is, are, they, are they too risky to touch though? You know, no, there, there have been... it's just valuation. Like, okay. like look at Petco. It's one of my investments that hasn't performed well. That okay. I, I think they're going to do almost 80, 90 cents, maybe a dollar even this year. And it's trading at $16. And it's a small cap in the pet industry. I love the pet industry. It, it, they don't have a ton of competition. The new management's great. Insider buying. You know, it's a, I like the position. It's cheap. It's not a huge company, you know, but I like it. You know, I mean, people aren't going to like get rid of their dogs anytime soon. They spend more and more money on it. Um, so Petco's in a great position with great management who's repositioning the brand around pet health, which is, we think, super lucrative. So why is this thing trading at like, you know, 18, 20 times expected earnings and growth? I don't know. I'll take it. I'll buy it. Hmm. You know, anything under a 20 PE that's growing is probably a good buy. You don't think it could be like the competition of like retail versus online? Well, they do both. I mean, they're okay. retail and online. We used to own Chewy, but I think they're doing much better than Chewy. Chewy, we okay. sold. Um you know, I, I, I think that small and mid caps are undervalued relative to big caps. And I think the big caps like Apple, Microsoft, Google, which we own, um, are at the highest valuations they've had, maybe for good reason, but definitely at the highest valuations they've had. And a lot of that is because we hide in them so we don't have to underperform indexes. So what happens is fund managers will buy Apple and Google, for example, instead of cash because mm -hmm. they can't own cash, for example instead of owning all their other stocks. So what's happened is they'll sell their other stocks and then like like put it into the big caps and then the big caps outperform even more than the small and the mids. But it's not based on value, it's based on fear. And so if we all use Apple and these companies are sort of like cash balances now, um, it makes it hard to beat the S&P in these market decoins, you know, unless you do the same thing. But what we do is we try to buy the stocks that are cheap and not just hide in Apple. Um, and then we'll outperform over time. Um, and that's usually what happens. So mm -hmm. I think investors are well served looking for value in small and mid cap. Okay. Okay. So hunting for that value, maybe getting that peg ratio right, looking for a good cash mm -hmm. balance, something like that, that you're getting yeah, for that. Yeah, a company like Fulgen. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. People don't get these companies. Like okay. a lot of times the analysts just don't get the companies, you know, like, there's no analysts on the companies. So like banks will assign like analysts to different industries and companies and they mostly only follow, follow big caps now. So there isn't really a lot of coverage in the small caps unless they do something big and then somebody starts talking about them like me or you or I don't know. Is, is that a risk though? I mean, like if, if nobody's talking about them, they could just become penny stocks. They could just no. be undervalued forever. That's not how companies work. 
Okay. So a company is a real company. Let's say the company is XYZ uh, Hamburgers. XYZ Hamburger sells hamburgers and they go public for 100 million and they've got 25 million in sales, let's say. Okay. XYZ should be a profitable company if they're going public. Okay. So that's number one rule. If your company isn't profitable, all this doesn't matter. But if the company is profitable, as they should be being a public company with 25 million in sales and $100 million market cap, then they can take those profits and buy back stock. So it's actually the best thing that could ever happen to a company is that they go public at 20, the stock market gets hammered, the stock goes to five, and then the company takes the same exact money they just got for going public and buys back all the stock at five and keeps the difference. <laughs> so if you run your company right, it's an advantage to buy back stock like Apple did for many years when it traded at 18 times earnings or less. Tim Cook would just buy the stock because he's like, I'm getting a 6% return, earnings yield return. So if you don't know what earnings yield are, which is probably what you don't know, and it's okay, it's a financial thing. Earnings yield is you basically take the price of the company and you divide it by the earnings of the company. So it's like you have a yield, like it's a dividend. So a stock might have a dividend yield of two, but it might earn twice as much money than the 2% yield. So it really has a 4% earnings yield. Okay, and they distribute half of that, for example, as a dividend. So you have to compare your earnings yield to the stock market's 10 year return. That's where this valuation thing does. So the lower the PE your stock, so if your PE is 20, your earnings yield is 5%. Okay, that's the way it works. So if your PE is 15, wow, that's a very high yield. Okay, and especially if those numbers are going up. So yeah. you have to compare what's the earnings yield that I'm getting on a company, whether it's small or large cap, and what's the 10-year return. And that ratio adjusted for risk is how you determine if your valuation is good. So if you've well, got a small cap that's growing nicely in a good business and you've got an earnings yield of like 5 or 6%, it, it's a great opportunity. And the best we're going to see the 10 years, two and a half. Well, and, and it's an interesting thing that you mentioned that I think a lot of folks forget is this risk adjusted return. So, for example, if I go into like Sundial, you know, a, a, a very small company that was, was right. a meme movement and I'm like, I'm going to buy this at 40 cents. And when it goes to two dollars, I'm a five X, you know, great. But what was your, your risk level for, for doing that? Right. Uh, so I think that's a good thing you mentioned. Now, well, I want to ask you about this. Remember, one. that's a huge point you just made, yeah. you know, because I manage money to lower the risk and still get a good return. Right. And that's, I think, something most people don't understand. We're not an equal risk reward company. That's gambling. So if you have equal risk to reward, it's pretty much gambling. What we're really trying to do is how do I lower my risk and keep my reward the same? That's real hard. And that's what we <laughs> focus our time on doing. That's a good point. So let me ask you here this one. Um, Nano Dimension. They are a company that became a momentum mover. They're uh, one of Kathy's picks. I got to see what her allocation is in it. But it has gotten crushed. I mean, the thing is down to like $3. Uh, it has a market cap of $826 million. They're a 3D printing company. Right. And uh, they have Sell cash it. on hand after liabilities oh, really? of over $1.3 billion. So literally every dollar you're putting into this company you're getting a dollar fifty in cash right now. Well, it depends what their cash burn is. It depends what their cash burn is. So wait, if their wait, cash burn is oh cash burn. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. if they're burning sure. five hundred million a year, it's not that good of a deal. If That's they're burning fair, thirty fair. million a year, a it's a great deal. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so remember, sometimes you look at that and you're like, oh my god, look at all this cash on the books. It's like a free company, but then you're like, oh, but it's like a broken one. You know. 
Um, <laughs> there's sometimes you see it. So, so when something like that seems really fucked up, like off your natural instinct might be right, but there's usually something behind the something scenes. Something else. And that's, especially with small cap companies, I got to do a lot of work. That, like, I call the CEOs, you know, like, I, I talk to management. See, that's the difference between me and a lot of other people, too. You know, like, I deal with management. Like, I don't just, like, try to guess what's going on with some stock based off what's on shit NBC. You know, I, like, you guys, if you're watching it on CNBC and you think that's news, you're getting screwed, you know? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. No, just call uh, the CEO. I said, call the CEO. I said, what the hell's going on with your company? You Why know what? We'll, we'll have we'll have to call them up. Uh, it's it's call interesting, you know. Free and, and uh, maybe maybe we can get an interview with them because yeah yeah free, He's got free cash to do. flows. He's some small I mean, cash CEO. Like, I think they spent twenty two mil last year, so they're spending so the like hell, nothing. You know what, what he did? You know what he did that was brilliant? Dollars? They're not making that much money. What was brilliant was the stock became a meme stock. So what the CEO did is every time the stock had a meme pump, he sold and, and issued shares yeah, and just pocketed the cash. Man, he was right. so smart knowing, like Israeli guy just nailed it, yeah. knowing that the momentum would not last, that they were going right. to go back to being a penny stock. Now that he's got over a bill in the bank, man. Right. Yeah, it's a smart move. I mean, oh, yeah. it was kind of like what AMC, you know, kind of did, but then they we're wanting to sell more stock and everybody was like fighting against him. And now it was a mistake. He played the game. He should yeah. have just sold it because AMC needs the money and the theaters are still a tough business. Yes. Um, and I don't see it getting better anytime soon. You know, as much as I love the theaters and I think they need to exist, I don't think it's a good investment, but like, and we own the bonds actually. You can buy the bonds 75 cents on the dollar and get a nice 9% yield and they survive and it yields to maturities like, you know, I don't know, 14, 15%. And if they go out of business, you take over the theaters. That's what I own. But like, men stocks are really troubling because what happens is once they break, there's sort of this negative sentiment around them, and it's hard to get those stocks moving again because there's nobody, no institutions that are going to buy that stock except Kathy, I guess. And so, like, so I, once again, I tend to avoid those kind of games. Like, my game is I literally spend so much time researching the companies we own to make sure they deliver what I expect them to do. You know, so how much time I spend on our top, I would say 20 stocks, you know, I consider myself like a, a foremost expert in those companies, you know, yeah. and that's why I'm on the news every day. That's why I'm in the news every day. You know, like I tweeted Elon two weeks ago and I was like, Elon, Nobody's fucking crashed this full self-driving. Nobody's crashed this. Like, not one reporter saying this. He's like, correct. And then it was like 12 articles come out. And I was like, it's amazing not one reporter thought, maybe I should just ask them if anybody's crashed. You know? So I do. And he answers well, me. What about... Well, I'm the fucking news guy. What about... Um... Elon Musk saying that he, he's pretty certain, I can't remember the exact quote, but yeah, pretty certain he, he we're going to see a recession. recession this year. Yeah, he's wrong. So okay. um, I love Elon, but he was in my astronomy class, not my economics class. Now, I think uh, he knows a lot. I'm not trying to like discount his intelligence, which is obviously off the charts. And I think he his opinion is valid. 
but it's not the same as mine. And I have just as strong a personality as him. So I think I'm right and he's wrong. I've never seen an economy this strong in my life. And I can only see a recession being induced by the fact that the Fed would go berserk or something, which I have every confidence they're not. Uh, Janet Yellen is one of the smartest people in the world. I think I've said this on your show before. I think they're very smart people. I think we're lucky to have Powell and Yellen. We're very lucky that they're not a bunch of political hacks. And so, like, they're going to do what's best for the country. And what's best for the country is full employment. It's not creating a stock market crash in an election year to sweep in Mm -hmm. Trump and all those people. Trust me. They are very aware. So tamping down speculation, tamping down inflation through tamping down speculation, they've successfully done that. And I think that's what they should have done. Even though it's painful for me too, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, last real question I have for you, and then anything else you want to add, of course, uh, and and uh, you know how people can find you. But uh, last real question I have is, I don't know. I mean, you maybe you've heard of it. There's this ticker S arc, and it, it yes. takes the inverse Snark. position of yeah. arc K. What a trade, are you huh? going to go long S arc? The minute I do that, the market will turn. <laughs> so please do that then <laughs> that's exactly how i know if i hedge something if i try to hedge it's a sure buy signal when i get that bearish it's a sure there's no trade that i have lost more on consistently than hedging i just did i just did again i just did it again and i missed this shit so if you guys think that even us pros with billions of dollars don't fuck up all the time we do I can tell you three trades that you would laugh how fucked up I fucked them up. Excuse my language. People feel bad. It's that kind of day. It's that kind of day. Um, Man. So, you know, once again, it's a small part of my portfolio that I make my bad decisions in. And the majority of my portfolio is long-term investments like Tesla, NVIDIA, my fund. Basically, I buy my fund. And so, like, GK. So, like, a lot of the trades I make are stupid. And hedging tends to be the dumbest thing I think. <laughs> I don't want to tell you about how I fluffed a fucking Tesla trade this year already. Oh, my God. I'm killing myself. Oh, I know. So, it, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. People lose money. I lose money, too. Um, I think the difference is limiting your losses, um, knowing when it's time. So you don't want to try to trade against the tide. Okay. Yeah. So I'll leave people with this. The tide is not easy anymore. Tide's coming in now. Fed's yeah. moving. Okay. Yeah. So as much as we have a really strong economy, this market isn't going to take off until the Fed finishes the cycle. Okay. And that could be a year from now. Okay. Could be a year from now that the Fed finishes the cycle where they've raised enough and then they stop. Okay. And in that period of time, we're going to see a lot of this, okay? So you've got to start thinking a year out from now. Like, in in a year, what's going to look really good? And then you acquire it throughout the year. Now, I still suspect this will be a good year if you dollar cost average. You buy the dips low and hold, um, you'll end up having a decent year this year. You're not going to make a ton of money, okay? You're just not. If you do, and I'm wrong about this, I, I hope I am. I hope I'm wrong. But what I suspect is after killing it for two years, like we've killed it. Like we've made, I think it was like, I think it was almost 600 million trading in two years. Okay. Wow. For our clients. 
Oh, super excited about that. We're doing 2021 re reviews. We're not going to talk about 22 yet. And, uh, and so I suspect if I have an up 5% year, I would be pretty happy with it. As long as I don't lose money, I try not to lose money. That's really the goal right now. So the goal right now for me is if I can end a year positive, I'm stoked. Uh, I got a hole to dig out of, but I got cash to put to work. And then I put some to work today and I'm going to put some to work every time the market gets hammered. And that, and that's what you do. And you just got to be patient and accept that this is not the year to be aggressive. This is not the year that all of a sudden everything's going to take off and you're going to have 2021 again or 2020 again. It's just not that year. It's the year after the Fed stops. So when I was on the show last time, I kind of suspected all this would happen more toward May, June, July. And of course, I was wrong. It's happening now. As I say, most of my predictions don't come true when I start all my you know, beginning of the year prediction saying I'm almost sure all of them won't come true. And so far I've been correct about that. So none of my predictions have come true correctly yet. Um, it's all been pulled forward, but the good news, that means that the end of the year will be better sooner. So I thought we'd have a better start to the year and then it gets rocky and tough till like mid next year. That's what I originally thought, but it's, it feels like it was pulled forward. So now we're getting the rocky mess for the a period of time here and then the fed will ultimately probably reach their goals quicker than they suspected and then they'll stop and then it's like that's the all-in moment so that's really so once the fed's done with the rate hiking cycle then you know you're in good shape the risk is that they go too far and that's why the market's selling off oh and, and so that risk is here until essentially they they stop until they stop until they okay. stop Okay. And so that's, that's the way you play this market. The easiest money's in financials. Um, be well diversified. You don't give up on your tech stocks. Is that Jerome Powell? <laughs> <laughs> May as well be. <laughs> uh, you got, you got a Jerome Powell doll. You should dress up the doll for Wednesday, right? That'd be, know, be funny. Like, I should Please do that. say you won't kill the market. <laughs> Just say it, Jerome. I'll it's it's so that way. Every time the market or something goes wrong with the candlesticks, you just punch it, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. All your charts look fucked up now, too. It's like, oh, I thought my perfect <laughs> chart. And it's like, no. Yeah. Like, oh, I guess it has to be those. close, though. You don't want to have to get up, you know? You got to redraw your lines, you know? Those chartists all redraw their lines. No, you know, I'm a fundamental investor. You buy a company, you buy a company like Microsoft. Microsoft bought Activision for a cheap price in my book. A wonderful set of assets. Microsoft is just doing a wonderful job. Every element of the company and the thing sells off. And I'm like, I love what they're doing. What an opportunity for a long-term investor. I hope Microsoft sells off hard, right? What an opportunity. Tesla, 850 this morning. What yeah. an opportunity, Nvidia! What an opportunity. So you got to think about this. It's like, hey, it's not where I'm not worried about the next year. Okay, what I'm worried about is where I'm going to be over the long term, and if they're going to give me this gift, I'm going to take it. I'm Final take thoughts it. on crypto? You still bullish? Yeah, crypto is as bullish as ever. Just because the price changes doesn't make me. I may, I bought. I buy more. Once again, what changed in the premise? Nothing. Just the price. Why is it bad? If I'm accumulating an asset for the long term, why would I want to pay 60000 for something I could pay 30000 for? So I'm converting money, fiat, into crypto, and my conversion rate just got way better for me. So what do you do? You convert more over. 
Okay, I do the same thing. I've been dollar cost averaging into cryptos since 2014. I'm going to keep doing it. I bought more this weekend, even when I was tired and woke up in Vegas all exhausted from trying to see what the hell's going on all over the place. And and I wake up and I see crypto prices down and I bought some more. I, I don't care. You know, once again, I'm 50 years old. I've been doing this since I was 16 years old. The market's going to be here when I'm 75. The market's going to be here when I'm 100. Okay, what's going to be good when I'm 75? What's going to be good in a decade? What's going to be good over the next five years? You're probably already in the right place. You're just panicking over price, and that's the wrong thing. That's the wrong thing. You should be excited. Jerome Powell's giving you a gift. Thank God you're not 92. If you're 92, you're not a long-term investor. If you're so, 92, so, this is horrible for you. And 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 for you, you're not interested in waiting until after Jay Powell does his, his talking. I don't really care what he says. <laughs> I told you, rates doesn't change finding a great business like Polestar. So Polestar's like part of the Gore SPAC group. Alec Gore's is the only SPAC guy I know who I trust, you know, and I know him, you know, I went over to his house. He did Matterport. Yeah, he did Matterport and he's got uh, Luminar, all Mm -hmm. good companies, Mm -hmm. all good companies. So I, you know, when I got into Polestar, I said, you know, Alec, you know, our wives are friends actually. And I said, I want to meet Alec and I want to talk to him. I want to see what kind of guy this is before I put millions into this company. So he said, sure, come over which is awesome because he, he's a super wealthy guy, right? So I go over to his like hotel house and he's super cool, super smart, super honest, super hardworking. He's earned every dollar. I'm like, I want to invest with this guy. Then he's like, let's go out to New York. I want you to meet all the executives at Polestar. I want you to see all the cars. I want you to see everything. And then we flew out and did that. And I met everybody. And then I met wow. the guy from Luminar. I met this uh, Alex Russell. I think his name is, uh, what's his name? I think it's uh, the Luminar CEO. Yeah. Um, I'll really Google cool kid. Thing. Yeah. Google. He's, oh, he's uh, the Austin Russell. He's, he's Austin, the, the, yeah. yeah. He's the guy who's been like doing this since he was like 13 or something like yeah, that. Right? And he dude, made the company at 17 kid. or something. It's yeah, amazing. He's a genius kid. Uh, yeah. I got to hang out with him. I was trying cool. to get him to go out drinking, but he didn't go out drinking with me. I don't know if he drinks or parties. Oh, I but... change that. Yeah. But like, Love this kid. I'm watching uh, Luminar. Matterport's a great company. They've got a couple other specs, but Polestar is a great company. And that's what I'm saying. I spend my time learning about the company. I spend my time thinking about how many cars they're going to deliver. Like, is this like what rates are going to do has nothing to do with EV adoption. You know what I'm saying? So like, so don't, don't worry about this shit. The Fed's going to do what they need to do to make the economy right. But we cannot live in a world where the Fed like finances everything and all of our lives forever. That's not actually an economy. So this is, that's what I'm saying. This is all good news that the fed is raising rates and stopping buying bonds and giving them back and, and stopping all this nonsense. This is all good news because we actually, it's horrible to have them be doing what they're doing. Well, what, but what about the, the fact that, well, maybe not necessarily the fact, but, but what happens if, the Fed thinks that valuations of assets are high, eh, that stocks are too high, and that maybe they're like, you know what? Who cares if we crash the stock market? And they get really aggressive. There's oh, no worries. Just keep mandate. No, 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 no. That's not their mandate. Remember, um, employment is 100% related to two elements of the stock market. One is public companies and, and fundraising. When mm-hmm. markets crash, all uh, IPOs and bond issuances kind of stop. So right. it hurts the economy. So like think about all the companies that go public every week 
and that money goes to build companies and create jobs. So not having a functioning market is bad for the economy. So it's not in the Fed's mandate to crash the markets or tamp down spe speculation. Tamping down speculation is a byproduct of the Fed doing their job correctly, which is rates should be set at a level that keep inflation steady and at a low. In this case, they want a 2% inflation rate. Now, you're not going to have a 2% inflation rate in a 5% economy. That's just not normal. It would be more like three. But once again, a 5% economy in America, we haven't seen in my lifetime, pretty much. So like, we've been running at a 2% economy and a 2% inflation forever. But just from going from 2% economy to 3% economy would create so much wealth in this country for people over a decade, it would be mind blowing. It would be mind blowing. It would be the best possible outcome to move our long term growth rate in our country from 2% to 3% would produce enormous wealth for this generation. Enormous, maybe a little bit higher inflation too. But you're going to have to have rates that are higher, you know, like 2%, 1% to 2% on the short term and 2 to 3% on the long term to have that be sustainable and healthy. And so, as I said, this is a transition from a pandemic Fed-induced economy back to a real economy, which was exactly the goal of the Fed when they did all this. And if they do this right, they might have put a spark. And because of the way the lockdowns were, it could have put a spark in our economy that we've never seen in my lifetime that could yeah. bring up the growth rate of America and allow us to maintain being the number one economy in the world over the next decade versus China. Hands this down. is an enormous yeah. plus. This is what I'm trying to tell people. The moves that China has made will severely weaken them over the next decade severely weaken them in the global world and in the economy. We're moving supply chains away from them, okay? It costs money to do that, but long-term, hugely valuable. The biggest car plant in the world is being built in Austin, Texas. The new Polestar factory is in South Carolina. Wait, I thought this was all supposed to be in California. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thanks for thanks for rubbing it in us us fifty three percenters. Um, <laughs> so I want I want to leave your viewers with this: you should not be negative. Okay, we've gone through a hard time, one of the hardest times you've ever experienced. We've gone through emotional turmoil. We've gone through living with fears. We've gone through hugging your mom could kill her. We've gone through, no, seriously, yeah, you know, like I was in Vegas. I can't see any, I'm, my wife, I'm like banished to this room till Wednesday. But you're vaccinated. <laughs> this doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> All the vaccine does is it prevents you from getting really sick, but yeah. it doesn't mean that you're not going to get it or spread it. And I got kids and blah, blah, blah. And I want to, you know, I want my wife to be happy. Dude, I'll Her party with you. That's what I'm doing. I just, oh, fine. I'll go and meet Kevin. You know, I don't need to talk to you. And uh, no, so I want people to be happy and excited. We went through a hard time. Like I see the light at the end of the tunnel that I didn't see a year ago. Like yeah. I saw people out having a great time without masks on. Despite the risk, I see people adapting and like changing their careers and, and doing way better things they were doing before. I've seen people change the way they live for the better. I've seen people understand what's important. 
much more. Where our whole society is changing in so many ways, much of which is for the better. Um, yeah. We've gone through a really hard time in as a nation, and hopefully we get more united, I, I hope, too, in the next period. Because I feel like the divisions, even though we might have different belief systems, we're all Americans, and it's hurt us, these divisions. Um, so I kind of feel like more bullish than I have been in a long time. Okay. So wow. the Fed's actions are proof that we're succeeding in fixing one of the worst experiences America's had in my lifetime. And this will go down. You know, when my, I got my kid the vaccine the other day, my youngest, because we were holding off. He's young. He's five. Now he's six. So I was like, all right. My wife didn't want him to get a vaccine. I threatened to divorce her if we didn't. So she let me do it. And, uh, and so I got him vaxxed and, and I gave, you know, I showed him the card, you know, and I said, you're six, you won't remember this, but one day you'll have this card and you'll talk about it like the polio vaccine cards from the, that era. And I lived through nine 11, you know, very, very personally, which you probably didn't, you know, you were probably a kid and, and so Fourth those, grade. Those, yeah. So those scars are pretty deep for me. It's not something that I'll ever forget, you know, like the financial crisis, you know, these things and the pandemic are these things that happen that make us hopefully stronger, but we'll never forget. These are, you know, once a century events and, um, and we're going to get through this and it's going to take five years. It's going to take five years and we're on year two. So, you know, it's going to be a lot of this and now we're moving back to a new stage, but this next stage is good. You know, it's a good stage, the next stage. So hang yeah, in there. I, I think I should clarify. I, I could not agree with you more. I think we got to get through certainly the next 60 days of trash because this is going to yeah. be our first rate hike. It's like, you know, yeah. popping the rate cherry. Right. Uh, and then we'll get a little bit more used to, okay, right. this, the course we're going to be on. So like you said, this volatility is not going anywhere anytime no. over the next 60 days. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody, needs I would to say feel longer. Like they... I mean, I, I would say it's probably going to be for most of the year because then once the rate hearts start happening and people get comfortable with that and markets might rally in summer kind of thing, but then you get the, like, is he going to go too far fear? You know, and that and that's why I said and it's not until they say in that meeting that we're done raising rates, that we feel the rates warrant inflation has come down. You know, uh, our expectations are inflation will be below our two percent rate within the next 12 months. So at this time, we feel that the risk is more warranted to raising rates would cause a recession and we're going to leave rates pat from here. And then, boom, that's when you jump all in, you know, that's interesting. That's interesting. So we just, just got to okay. wait this out. It's just time. Wait, so, so would 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 it be a fair assessment to say, look, next sixty days, really buckle up. Next twelve months, maybe ten months thereafter, you know, loosen the belt buckle a little bit, maybe, but it's still going to be volatile. After that, hey, you know what? We got maybe ten gold. No, years. I wouldn't say that at all. You know, once okay. again, I I think that every ten years you have two bad markets. Okay, okay. at least maybe three, but hopefully two. Um. You can just start counting. So 2020 was good. 2021 was good. You know, so where are the two bad years we're going to get? Maybe this is one. Okay. Now, a bad year in the market's like down 5%. I don't, the only time you get down 35, down 50% is when you have financial crises or you have pandemics. You know, a bear market is a 20% decline and you get that when there's a recession. Okay. I don't see a recession coming. So what we're talking about is a series of corrections that lower returns. So right when you start thinking things get better, you get another 
smack. And that's why I'm saying it's not the time to be aggressive right now. It's the time to just dollar cost average, be well diversified, buy your favorite stocks when they get cheap. Don't worry about making too much money this year. And it will pay off as soon as Powell says we're done and then it'll pay oh. off. But what I'm trying to tell you is you just don't know. I don't know. And yeah. so if I just dollar cost average now and I know that I don't want to be aggressive, so I know I'm not playing into the wind, you know, it's like swimming against the tide. You ever go surfing? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Surfing's tiring. Okay. Yeah. So when you're going out to surf, if you're not in the right part of the channel, it's like really hard to get out. It's just really hard to get out. And then the surfer guy's like, that's not where you paddle. You know, it's like you go over there and then you paddle right out and then you turn left and you're right in the waves, right? And you're like, dude, it's so much easier being in the channel than riding against the waves or riding against the tide. Even when you're swimming, like we were snorkeling, when you're swimming against the tide, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. I almost like drowned out there. I was like, I got to just give in and go the other direction yeah. because the tide was too strong. You know, and, and so that's what's happening now is the tides coming in and you're swimming against it. And so if you try to be more aggressive into that market, it's painful. Yeah. It's painful. So now is the time you hold extra cash. You sell your bonds that are going to definitely lose money. You hold extra cash. All in on margin is what you're saying. No, exact opposite. Exact opposite. Exact opposite. And then when the Fed's done and markets start to get perky again, then you can start really doing your options and margin again and really look for your upside. And then you get a 95 type year with a 20, 30% rise in the market. And boy, you can do real well if you dollar cost average right now. Okay. So, so as a summary, what I'm gathering is patient bullishness. Well, I'm bullish on the economy and I'm super bullish on what's happening and the markets will eventually get to the right place that they need to be. But patience is going to be a huge factor in being successful this year. And I do think if you start today, you're going to have a really good year because markets are cheap now. But like investing is a long term thing, you know, like some like sometimes Trading you make a lot. Investing. Right. And sometimes you make a lot of your return in certain years and then you don't really make anything in other years. And then you have to, like, look at your average. So look at Kathy as a perfect example. She's reverted to the mean. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Reverting to the mean where she had such outperformance for so long. That if she would have sold everything in her fund when the fund was at 125 and never traded again, she would still have an amazing track record for the next decade, right? But then everybody would call her a paper hander. Whatever they call her, they'd be richer than they are now after losing 50%. <laughs> but when you lose 50% in a bunch of stocks and you haven't done anything but add to those, that's super painful. So you can learn a lot from Kathy's strategy recently because she's mm -hmm. traded exactly wrong into a rising interest rate environment. Wow. Wow. And I would That's... think she would know this because she's older than me. But I think with Kathy, it goes back into her belief system is so strong in what she believes, which I'm not saying is incorrect because we believe in the same innovation she believes in. But a lot of her team are young and they're academic. They're not stock traders. Hmm. She doesn't have one stock trader on the team. What she does is she hires the smartest people in their fields and mm -hmm. brings them in to do research. I'm a kid who was trading stocks when he was like 12. I'm a stock trader by nature. Okay. So I don't have the same conviction for stocks that are losing me money, no matter what they are, no matter what they are. 
I always say, they say, what's your favorite stock right now? I said, the one that's going up. <laughs> I don't fucking care what it is. Innovation. I don't care if it's John Deere. You know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> as, as long as it's not oil, and that's where I'm getting screwed right now, because oil is the only thing going up. And yeah. I don't own it because I have the ethic thing again, the oil. You know, I can't yeah. own oil. And so, that might uh, go away I, once the whole geopolitical risks chill out. No, I, I just, I, you know, I, my thing is the environment. That's yeah, my no, thing. That makes sense. You know, I just want my kids to be able to play in the ocean forever. And I want, oh. you know, uh, no, dude, come on. You live on the coast. You know what I'm I talking know. about. Our world's being destroyed. It sucks. So how do people get started with you, Ross? Yeah. So I was going to say the key to this is financial planning. So financial planning is the idea of building your finances around a plan so that market declines are an advantage to you and not a disadvantage because you actually have a strategy and you have diversification. And that's what we do at Kerber Kawasaki. So you can reach out at our website at KerberKawasaki.com because it's times like these that we actually get a lot of clients because it's actually a harder market where in the easier markets, people are doing it themselves and they're like, oh, this is great. And I get that. But now they get hurt. And now is the time to say, maybe I should have somebody look at this because maybe I'm not doing this right or there's things I can improve. One of the things that I was talking about this morning in our meeting is a lot of people say, well, I don't want to have to pay a fee. And I think that's a very narrow minded thing. Let's say we charge you on average 1%. But if we actually make you several percent more than you would otherwise made because of having smart financial planning, smart tax planning, smart investments, talking you off the ledge the time you almost sold everything. Wait, if we can just you could stop people from paper handing? We don't let them paper hand. That's why they pay Sign us. Sign up. They call me and they go, Oh, I'm scared. What do you think we did all fucking day? I got <laughs> 27 guys on the phone talking people down all day. That's Are what you we serious? Do. Yeah, but like our clients know this now. So most of the clients don't call. It's just the new ones. <laughs> the new. So we have a letter. I'll leave you with this. We have a letter and we send out the same letter every time this happens. So we send it out once every two years. And we just erase what the reason is. And then that's like put it back in. <laughs> like, I started doing this during the financial crisis. I wrote a whole le bunch of letters to try to, and boy, I have these. It's mind-blowing to read these things in hindsight, what I wrote. Boy, I was wrong and I was right. You know what I mean? Like, part yeah. of what I said, it can't get much worse, you know? Oh, I was wrong. And then, you know, but ultimately America will recover and we'll be back and all that was right, you know? Um, so we use the same letter and we kind of delete what the reason is and re-put it in like, well, the Fed's raising rates again. And, and it's like, and it's just behavioral. So people just calm down and, you know, they're like, I'm fine with this, you know, like I'll get over it. So our new clients take a little bit more training. Like this is good news. Send us your cash. Now there's opportunities, you know, and people start to understand. So our, our long-term clients fully get this now because we've done this many times, you know what I mean? Um, so if you're a new investor, get some financial help. Having us as the buffer between you and a bad decision has huge value. It just has huge value. So we make our clients more money in times like this by talking them off the ledge than from actually investing half the time. Nice. So our fee is irrelevant. It's almost irrelevant because it's times like these where it's really worth it. You know, when the market's going up, you're like, why am I paying this guy? What did he do? And it's like, well, yeah, I haven't, you know, it's not that hard today. But when the storm comes in, you're pretty happy to have a pilot on the ship or on the plane, you know. It's nice to have an experienced captain on the boat. And that's what we're here for as financial advisors. Reach out. Listen, 
there's no negative that can come from having a financial. We do a free initial consultation. Um, we have a get invested program. If you have no money, doesn't matter. We're the only firm in the country of like such high quality investment people working with no minimums. Okay. Nice. And we do this because my fundamental belief is to allow anybody who wants to improve their situation to have the opportunity to work with a financial advisor. And that's what my firm's all about. We have our ETF GK. It's cheap as hell right now. I can't believe it. I was buying it today. I can't believe how much our stocks have gone down, our 45 stocks. These are great long-term. It's a great growth fund. Um, it, of course, there's always risk in the stock market and it sucks that we're down and all this kind of stuff. But that's when you got to step up and buy these things. So if you want easy exposure to our picks, dollar cost averaging to our fund. But this is really about financial planning this period of time. Uh, you also have tax season coming up and we have GK tax and accounting now. So oh, wow. there's also tax strategies like that we're using. Like, let's say you have a bunch of losses right now on your core positions and you have losses. Like you can tax loss harvest these things right now and move into similar positions. It's kind of one of the reasons we started a fund because I can move back and forth between stocks and my fund and harvest losses without really fully changing my positions. Okay. So a great time to do like tax loss harvesting. You know, oh, for yeah. example, let's say you own ARC F. If you own ARC F, you're down heavy. So you sell your ARC F and then you buy back Square, PayPal, and Coinbase, for example. Yeah. And you still have basically the same exposure. So if it recovers, you don't lose any money, but now yeah. you get the tax loss. So this is a huge opportunity to lock in some tax losses and still keep your positions the same. So we do a lot of that days like today. I, I think it's brilliant. And and one of the things that you can also do, which I think people should know in, in an ETF, uh, is is you could trade positions within your ETF and not cause tax consequences to individuals. Right. Now, right. I'm not a CPA, so so maybe I'm missing some problems. No, there no, whatever, no, that's but roughly, correct. Okay. ETFs, if managed correctly, are, are tax deferred. So like right now, my fund, let's say, I don't know, I think it's like 22 bucks, right? So yeah. if you buy it now, and it goes to 30, like you're not going to get a distribution of taxes every year because of the way we manage the fund and ETFs have tax advantages that most people don't understand. And it's like a 1031 exchange for real estate where yes. I can take my highly appreciated Tesla shares and transfer them into other stocks without creating a tax consequences. Only ETFs can do this. And this is why I started the fund. So if you buy my fund today, low, and it soars, and I'm making trades as I do this every week, there's no consequence to it. So it's brilliant. It's it's brilliant. it's wonderful. We created these things to really help our clients better manage their taxes because fortunately we've created a lot of gains over the years. I mean, I, we all have big tax bills. And so it's like, how do we be tax efficient? And ETF is the most tax efficient trading structure I've ever seen. So it's a great opportunity for investors, especially at these prices. Um, so yeah, that would be an idea would be like, let's say you take, a bunch of growth stocks you own that you're down on, you could sell those, then buy my ETF, which is another bunch of growth stocks, and you still have the same exposure, but you get the tax loss right now. You know, 30 days will buy, you can always sell my fund and buy back your stocks too. But, you know, that that type of trading, you can make a lot of tax loss profits from just using these declines as a way to harvest losses and, and not really change your position. So there's lots you can do financial planning, reach out to us. Um, that's what we're here, you know, to try to add value at my firm. You know, I do have to thank you a lot, Kevin. We do talk to a lot of people from your show. Your show is wow. highly effective 
in you know the marketplace people really trust you and mm. love your show and and many reached out they were very concerned about you um they i, I don't watch your show every day i wish i did um but they said you were very nervous <laughs> and oh. uh <laughs> oh well, and, and well I, I, like, I hope I don't come across this. And then you're calling nerd. me on on Friday. I'm in I'm in Vegas, like trying to do stuff, and and I, I see your call. And I'm like, oh shit, Kevin's like panicking. I'm not available. <laughs> and, and and you know, but I love what you're doing, Kevin. I say this to you every time. You know, I think more people pay attention to you and YouTube finance channels than traditional finance. I think YouTube finance is is create a whole new world. I think people who are watching traditional finance are losing compared to people who are watching these shows where it's real, real people with real advice, with real experience, um, your experiences, your real life portfolio versus a bunch of frauds on these channels that don't even manage money who pretend like they're managing money, but they really run a newsletter or they sell or they're the chief strategist that credit Swiss. Like what the hell does that guy do? nothing you know what i mean so it's like so i think you guys are doing a great job your your fans and followers really do pay attention to you and really care i can tell you because we interact with a lot of them so i appreciate you having me on and, and all that but i also appreciate that you're putting or trying really hard to put good information in the hands of investors um to make smarter decisions and i think that's why you've been so successful yeah. as a youtuber and in finance um because i think you care tremendously about the outcomes of, of your viewers you practice mm -hmm. what you preach just like i do and i think people really want to get good financial information and and so i appreciate that you try to give that to people where so many yeah. people are pushing fear they just push fear all and, and that's the thing is long. is it's so important when we separate that well first of all i think probably my guess is 99 percent of people watching should probably be long-run investors and that's that's oh, what we sure. talk about regularly on the channel just because i decide to take some tax advantage moves to to do a trade or whatever doesn't mean people should should, should copy me right so like right. look here's the thing ross 20 million dollar portfolio i'm 29 years old i could sell on friday like i did and f off and never go back in the stock market it totally. doesn't f and matter right right but but for most people watching uh 99 Focus on that long run investing, just Absolutely. like you're talking about, Ross. And and actually, if you do the math, you'll have 20 million if you save and invest on a monthly basis over a 30 year period. You're young, you're 29 years old. You think about when you're 60 or 70 years old and you save money every month and you invest it. 20 million is a reasonable goal. Just punch it in, punch in 10, 12% average return. And you save you know $5,000 a year or $10,000 a year. That's what we do at my firm is show people this, that if you save and invest for the long term and growth, good companies, you can do very well. You don't have to just be as fortunate as we were and pick the next Tesla, you know, right. um, that we, you know, as much as it was skill, it was also luck, you know, and, and, and we get lucky sometimes like with the Teslas and it's super profitable, but most of the time it's just like, you got to just plug away and make solid returns year after year and save and invest your money. And it does work. And, and I do appreciate you mentioning that because you are in a very fortunate situation. That's why I was kind of teasing, too. I was like, yeah, Kevin, you know, poor guy's down to his last 15 million. You know what I mean? I was like, what's, a, what's he going to fucking do? He's going to have to sell his jet or something. I don't know. Poor Kevin. I'm like, then his hair's gone. I go, what? he lost his hair. I got I got to get on the show and, and help him. 
This is why and you didn't call me. You didn't call well, me because back. you're not my client. It's a conflict of interest, right? So <laughs> if I call you back, it's like you know, I got guys that pay me, you know, fifty grand a year. I got to call them back. You know, you got me. Uh, you got yeah, me. Call yeah. me red-handed. <laughs> yeah. No, when you Ross. lost your hair, when the hair color was gone, I got really nervous. So I was like, I got to go on Monday, change my schedule, get on the show. Poor Kevin. I hope you, I've got to check on him. Do a little. What a community check or whatever welfare but you, check. But you, yeah, you seem to be doing fine. So I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. So don't don't be short the market. That's a tough game to play. Yeah, you know, just yeah. hold more cash. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, yeah, just yeah. I am right now. I am 1.8 mil long, uh, 0.6 percent short, mm-hmm. and the 90.4 percent is is cash. Yeah, right so now. then you can just dollar cost average in now. That's that's my plan. Next sixty yeah. days, DCA in. After sixty yeah. days, uh, hopefully my averages are lower. I if mean, they're not. It didn't work out. You got to <laughs> take some Tesla before earnings at nine hundred, though. That's a that's a dude. I look okay. Juicy to me, but okay. We we quickly on Tesla. Uh, I am worried that uh, look last quarter we broke the magical thirty for margin, so we rallied on earnings. We also got news of positive Tesla deliveries, like an amazing beat. I'm worried that we're coming off two double sets of good news uh, into Tesla earnings on Wednesday. There's got to be some bad news, man. (laughs) Well, no. I mean, obviously, I expect them to delay the Cybertruck, for example. Yes. I I don't think that's going to be done this year. And they've never made a car on time in the history of Tesla. And Elon's going on the call. So yeah, Elon could lose can in this. He could he no, could no, no, talk no. about how we're going into a recession. No, no, no. Elon is much smarter now than he was in 2018. Okay. Um, we, we've had many <laughs> a talk. Elon and I have had many a talk about conference calls since the old days. Okay. The painful old days. He is a well-seasoned CEO now. So okay. what I think um, what I think he's talking about is product roadmap, and that's where he's gonna mention okay. cyber. And I think also Austin opening, and that's the, the up positive upside. You know, when the Austin factory opens, I mean, that's the biggest catalyst that you could ask for, which is more production. Um, so I think that timeline is really important. They're kind of bogged down in Berlin right now. So the Austin opening is crucially important. Um, once again, Tesla has never delivered a car on time, and you should not expect it to start all of a sudden. Um, I think that's priced in, actually. Um, because that news did come out already, whether it be fake or real, I think it's more likely real. Um, that being said, Tesla reported on the first day of a year, the biggest number I could even imagine for deliveries and the stock rallied True. 140 points. And I was drinking tequila in thinking of how smart I was on uh, the third or fourth. And by the fifth, I'm an idiot, right? Uh, <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> but so we've gone from 1200 to 900, let's say along with all the good news. So I think sometimes markets like Tesla just gets caught in the downturn because it's a big liquid stock that Kathy could sell to help rescue her other stocks. And I get that. And then we had all the Elon selling, you know, but institutions sell their big caps when they're scared because they're liquid, you know? And so what I really think is Tesla is trading at, I don't know, 70 times earnings and growing at a hundred and something percent. So if I'm going to buy Tesla, I like it in the 800 range. Okay. So I got there today and I bought some. Good. Okay. And that's when I'll buy it. So when it's under 900, I'm a buyer. Okay. And that's just the way it is. Uh, So I'm not trying to trade it into earnings. I'm just saying as a long-term investor, I'll buy Tesla under 900 all day. How long are you in quarantine for 
Well, you know, I was trying to, I was like, I need a conjugal visit, honey. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm married. I'm in Vegas. I'm like, come on, I come home. You know, I need some love, babe. You know? So, so Tuesday, <laughs> now, Wednesday. Well, you know, listen, I don't blame her. I, I would definitely not be near me after my activities. Um, although I don't think I got COVID. Um, so I think you get it about three to four days after, after you're exposed. So Saturday night, I was in a club with 500 unmasked people, uh, including myself, although I was trying to stay away from most of them. It's very hard. It's yeah. very hard. <laughs> but I, I wasn't in close contact. My wife was very happy about this. I wasn't in close contact with anybody. And uh -huh. um, yeah, dancing, dancing with a six foot yeah, bubble. No, no. And I didn't dance and I didn't talk to girls or any of that stuff. You know, like I was like, fortunately, you know, boy, the younger generation has issues, man. You know, they need to get off their phones. It's detrimental. There are literally 12 girls on their phones sitting in a in their table on their phones, like in a club with like, like tons of stuff. I was like, what is wrong with this generation? Uh -huh. You know, like in the 60s, you go to what is the 80s you go to club 50, 54 everybody's on lewds going nuts having sex everywhere and in this generation you're in a club and, and everybody's like on their phone <laughs> uh well so the the reason i asked is uh four days four days from saturday wednesday uh, was it okay tomorrow night you should test drive with me a lucid unless you already have you got a lucid Coming in tomorrow, dude. Really? I'll drive it down to, to you. Really? Yeah. I'll totally do that. I yeah. will totally do that. Um, where's my schedule? What do I have to do tomorrow? Dude, I've been trying to get in a Lucid for fucking ever. Yeah, I got and you. Like, oh, dude, I'm so excited. I, I assume you're doing a video with it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I literally have been trying forever. I saw the car at the factory, like, it feels like forever ago. And I think it's almost a year late. But it's such a sweet car. I'm like, please make these cars. Um, I think I'm good tomorrow. Okay, let's let's text. Yeah, right after this. yeah. We'll I think out. I'm good. My calendar yeah. is working. Wonky. The people like, want to know Ross's thoughts. Me too. Yeah. I want to know my thoughts too. I want to drive this fucker. It's I love the cars. Day before Tesla earnings, so you yeah, know, know. They, they Lucid better deliver tomorrow. <laughs> they they're saying well, two that, to three. I, well, I see. This is where my other friends. You know, it's like they hopefully they deliver tomorrow. <laughs> yes, we'll I see. hope. Your and hopefully earnings, the software yes. works. You know, it's like I've heard lots of different things. So I'm really curious to get in one. I love. So, yeah, because Wednesday and Thursday are, are just swamp days. So tomorrow Good. works. Let's do let's do Lucid tomorrow. That'd be let's awesome. do it, man. OK, I, I Ross, love cars. That's my favorite thing. So thank you for including. Th me. Perfect. We'll make it happen. Thank you for being here, Ross uh, and everybody watching. Go to Gerber Kawasaki in the link below. And anything else you want to say, Ross? Yeah, let's build a financial plan. Let's build your future. It's going to be a great year to set yourself up for your future. Awesome. So Ross, thank you so much. Yeah, Stand by me, for Kevin. one second. I'm going to end yeah. the live. Thank you so much. If you found this live helpful, please share it. Uh, subscribe. Uh, check out the program's link down below next to Ross Gerber's link with a coupon code expiring on my birthday, which is in four days. So, Ross, we're going to have to do oh. something for the birthday, pre-birthday. Is it 30? Uh, we'll see you in the next one.